What a cool little setup. This seems more like I'm on the Howard Stern show than I do these. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you've taken quite a step down moving from Howard Stern <laughs> to Jesse's apartment. Do you have a radio show, bud? Is this what's going on? Oh, yeah. Big time radio. Big time. 300 listeners a week. <laughs> All right. You need to be a little closer to that microphone there, Mr. President. Hello. Does that work? Yeah. How was your drive? Mr. I hate coming into Toronto because of the ridiculous traffic. I can't all of the, the peasants get out of the way of my oh, dude. super vehicle. Yeah, yesterday I uh, I just had to abandon ship, man. <laughs> it was crazy. I couldn't deal with this nonsense. The city is full. We don't need anybody else, but people keep on trying to come in. Yeah, traffic is congested, and then I look at Oakville, and they're just... Build, 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 smash. Why does land need to exist? Why do animals need to go anywhere? We just build. Animals leave. And then we get more traffic. And then they put four lanes in, and then it's still not enough because they keep building. There's a um, urban intellectual named Jane Jacobs. And one of her big theories is that or more roads just means more cars. It's counterintuitive. People always think that, oh, if we just build more roads, then they'll be less of a traffic problem but the problem is the more roads you build the more room you give people the freedom to to have cars and so they fill up all available space with more cars yeah it's like i don't know it's only by limiting the amount of space for cars can you limit the amount of cars because people will always want more cars if you have like we have so much disposable income in north america that given the opportunity people will have four or five cars they'll just fill they'll just fill everywhere with cars with their space the theory applies Jay Leno. to a few things yeah. mm-hmm. Jay Leno. <laughs> you've seen his thing right he's got like a giant car aircraft carrier full of yeah. fucking cars yeah th- yeah this, this is one from uh, 1867 when they used to run on corn oil hey yeah yeah th- take a look at this one yeah it's a pretty good car eh? yeah yeah. This is how I spend my billions. Yeah. So what's going on here, man? This is uh, a podcast show that I've walked into, kind of surprise. Unexpected. I don't. I don't hang out with my friends anymore. I just put microphones in front of them and, and record. Nice. All of their insights and stuff about the universe. Okay. And what's it called? It's called Idea Grave. Idea Grave. Uh huh. All right. It's where ideas go to die. And nice. <laughs> And do you actually see how many people listen to your podcast? Oh yeah, there's statistics. And what, how many? It's like 300 a week. That's not bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I think of it kind of as an extension. <clears throat> you know, back in the day, there was a tiny segment of weird people that had websites. And then websites became mainstream. And then there was a tiny segment of people who used those websites to do blogging and share like their insights. And then that became mainstream. And now there's the opportunity to like broadcast your voice and broadcast your video. And some people are taking advantage of that at the beginning of word minority. But eventually it'll become commonplace. And because if you listen to a lot of podcasts, there's really no better way to spread your ideas and connect your mind with other people than through the medium. What's brilliant about it is like somebody else can be, you're not interrupting them, right? It's not like a television show where someone has to sit down and find an hour to watch the thing. You can be at the gym, you can be driving in traffic, you can be at work rotoscoping in a design studio, and these ideas can like flow into your brain 
from wherever you are. And so that's what I find super powerful about it. Hmm. And where do you, like, what do I go on? Onto iTunes? Yeah, it's on iTunes. Like, and it's you? on Stitcher. Yeah, you just search for my name, you can find it. It's on my website. So if I Google search it, I'm going to find a, a, a podcast? Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Trippy, eh? <laughs> I've just seen, like, I've heard of Joe Rogan's because mm-hmm. you keep passing me links. But yeah. I've never even tried to, like, find you... how to listen to a podcast. Oh, okay. So you've got a modern smartphone. You've got, like, a Galaxy phone or something, right? iPhone 5. Um, you got an iPhone 5. So there's a podcast app, and then you uh, can add podcasts to that app, and it'll automatically download the new episodes. So whenever you want to listen to it in the car, you just plug it in and it goes. Nice. It's very, very convenient. I'm going to add your Seamless. podcast then. Oh boy, I'd be honored. Yeah. I uh, I tend to, to talk a lot about the old days and stuff from our troubled childhoods. Nice. So yeah, for those of, those of you listening, Sean's probably my oldest friend that I'm still in contact with. I think I met you when you were 11 or something. 12, yeah. Grade it's, 7. It's like tw- 20... 23 years now jeez from the heart the mean streets of of uh barton 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 street stony creek hamilton area i still remember that like it was like it's crazy how fast time goes when you think of it like Mm -hmm. it's just gone i can still actually remember you and your brother fighting with like little whatever they were sticks and i thought you guys were like martial artists or something we had a habit of uh constructing toys because we were poor and we couldn't afford many things so yeah. we would like carve uh wooden spears and swords out of scraps yeah. from my grandpa's lumber pile and then from a distance if you see us our, our silhouettes whacking our sticks together you could <laughs> misinterpret that as skill yeah no, it's crazy because I don't, I don't, I don't remember half of what's happened in my life, but I can remember clearly watching you and your brother on the front lawn battling it out with sticks. I remember uh, Razor Ramon. Remember when I slept over <laughs> doing the Razor Ramon impressions? Gonna take my toothpick and stick it up your ass, up your ass, until it bleeds. <laughs> Actually, I had to run to the washroom because I. I pissed myself a little bit yeah yeah Yeah. it was a little squirt (laughs) that was that was uh, a common a common shawnism little squirt yeah the uh, (laughs) the contrast between being like an overly large muscular 13 year old but also having like a girlish laugh and (laughs) yeah the ability to laugh so hard that you (laughs) would piss yourself a little bit yeah (laughs) but yeah i remember when uh the first time i saw you we were at the bus stop and uh, you were kind of doing... Where did you live before that, before you moved to the neighborhood? See, this is what I mean. I don't even remember. You and your mom were from someplace rougher, I think. Oh, like grade seven, eight. I think I might have been coming from Toronto. Okay. Yeah, that would some... make sense because you showed up at the bus stop in your San Jose Sharks jacket and you had your hood down like a fucking Sith Lord and you were kind of doing that thug waddle. Nice. Around. And I was, I was like, whoa, this is this is intense. This is different. <laughs> yeah, I was coming from, uh, I forget what area, what area of Toronto, but it was kind of a, a rough area of Toronto. 
Yeah, I remember that. The San Jose jacket. <laughs> nice. It's crazy, the memory, and that's 20 years ago. Just 20? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It doesn't matter. But yeah, that was uh, that was a funny thing. Um, I, felt, I felt like... Uh, I never felt like the, that there was a, a hard um, generational line, but I felt like even though you and I are a year apart, I always felt like there was a split there where we were moving from, I don't know, uh, Gen X into Gen Y somehow. Like there was a very different culture. I remember like uh, I would go and hang out with my friends in grade seven and they'd be sitting around having pop and chips parties and talking about... I don't know, fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something, and they'd be having all these little nerdy fights about who likes who. You're you're not allowed to talk to Jen. She's she's not our friend anymore. And then I would go to your place, in uh, and I hang out with your friends, and like people were having sex, and there was <laughs> <laughs> fucking listening to gangster rap and stuff, and um, just mu- like a a heavy a heavy slope in between the two. It's like. After your generation, everybody turned into pussies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the border of Generation X and Generation Y, depending on mm-hmm. what demographics you study. Yeah, because you're 79, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. they say Generation Y started, I guess, in 80. So I miss Generation Y by 24 days. <laughs> depending on, yeah, whatever the demographic studies you read. And it continued all the way through high school. Like, by the time we were seniors, I remember... Uh, you know, we went to fucking, they did every year in, in Orchard Park in Hamilton, they would do kind of like an athletics day where a fun day where everybody would not have any classes and you'd do tug of wars and you'd do water balloon fights and watermelon eating. Moga madness. Moga madness. Correct. And everybody would form teams. And the group of, of my friends was like co-ed. It was boys and girls and they were all geeky kids. And then you put together like a fucking half the players were like from the orchard park football team there's like giant giant humans giant black guys and stuff on your team you had like a fucking do-rag around your head and like black sunglasses (laughs) and the theme of the day was like sean's team is going to destroy everybody (laughs) it's like not about fun so much as it is humiliation so get ready that was a good year yeah that's what i actually put on i remember grade 12 to to oac there i put on a ton of weight and got really big and then everybody kept calling me their team that day sean 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 come on do the the tug of war with us and there was zero overlap between our friend groups like we went to the same school a lot of the times like we'd be in the cafeteria at the same time but i can count on my hand like one or two instances where i talked to you at high school or hung out with you at lunch there was it was almost like a, a secret identity thing. There was kind of like a, a group of friends and a culture there, and there, then there was like the weekends and stuff that we would hang out. Yeah. Very, very uh, schizophrenic that way. It is weird, yeah. The generations certainly changed. Like, yeah, it did seem to be a, a hard line there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And once you guys left, things went completely bonkers. Like, uh, Wes Armstrong was elected president. We had our first, like, Orchard Park nerd president. He's doing like monster voices on the announcements and stuff. Nice. Our football team was such a disgrace that there was no senior students on the football team. It was all grade nines, and they were going up against like seniors from Toronto schools and stuff. And uh, we would have like uh, punk concert, punk rock concerts, and you know, painting murals and stuff. Yeah, the, the whole culture changed. 
You realize the year before I got there, though, the year I got there, the culture had changed a lot, too, for the better. It was like a good time in that five years. I remember going from grade eight, Winona, public school, to there, and there were, like, Nazi symbols on the wall in, <laughs> in Orchard Park. Like, holy crap. Like, I was scared. And then there was that thing in the news where the, the Sikh guys had come to, like, in a car load to beat some guy up. And then the whole Jesus school Christ. emptied out. It was Jamie Parrott, who was the vice president. And they, these Sikh guys were going to try and kick his ass. Mm -hmm. And then the whole school ended up in beating the shit out of these Sikh guys and hanging them up in the trees by their turbans. And, like, there was a real racial issue. And they, kicked, they kicked out the principal and everything. Jesus Christ. So Mr. Devon came in. Mr. Devon. Yeah. And he cleaned up the place. Straighten out the school. Um, yeah, I remember there being a lot of controversy with initiations when I first started. Yeah. Because almost everybody in my cohort got initiated. They got, like, lines drawn on their face with magic marker, and they got locked in lockers and all sorts of things like that. And I was the f part of the first cohort where they took a really hard stand to get rid of it. And by the time I graduated, I don't think any of my friends initiated anybody. No. In fact, there was there was a lot of um, kind of intermingling going on, a lot more intermingling. Like the, the younger students would hang out with the older students, and it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Um, so I I kind of preferred that, and I still like that. I still enjoy. Yeah, um, I was scared of the it with younger kids and stuff. They, I find that it's. Uh, it's a much it's a there's a balancing thing that happens there where you kind of get more points of view and it allows you to keep track of like what the underground music is and I don't know. I think I started that by uh, my love of the grade nine girls and then <laughs> inviting them to the table and telling the grade twelves and OACs you're gonna let the grade nines sit here <laughs> so I can check her out. Oh yeah, there was a couple of like hard crushes too over the years, where we would get super obsessed with like one or two girls for three or four years. I remember Johnny Lovrick and Johnny and Tina Cook. <laughs> you know what? My friend Charles became obsessed with that Tina chick after you, and I think he went out with her. Really? Yeah. Bloody guy. No, wait. It was Tanya from England. Tanya the, from England. That's what we used to call her. Because she had a, a British accent or something? Yeah, so that's different. That's uh, That was another crush of mine. So Tina Cook was a, a different girl. Mm -hmm. And then there was Tanya. I forget what her name is. But I actually went out with her uh -huh. after high school. What? It's fantastic. But she put on a she put on a bunch of weight and she wasn't quite the same. But you had the memories of how she was a goal that you had. That's right. So I'm like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to hang out with her. But she was still kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it kind of was a bit of a turnoff. She had put on some weight, and she was a bit of a, a weirdo still. Yeah. Very quiet. The chemistry wasn't there. I like outgoing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because life's too short for people who are scared of everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's such a drag when you, you finally get a chance to meet somebody, and you take them out, and it's just you and you and them. You know? It doesn't have to be weird. Let's just have a good time, blah, blah, blah. No expectations. But um, some people are kind of incapable of just being themselves. Yeah. And Maybe that was her, though. Maybe she was just a weird quiet, because every time mm -hmm. in school, she just sat there, <laughs> you know, not making a sound. So maybe that was her, just a quiet, quiet person. I don't, I don't want to believe that there's people in the world that are like that. 
because I've acted that way sometimes, and it's when I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it's in, you're incapable of, of feeling that kind of tight anxiousness all the time. You just go crazy. Maybe she You've been crazy. quiet. The, the, when I first met you, you were kind of stoic. Yeah. Stoic kind of thug. <laughs> yeah, I, kinda, I think I came out of my shell in high school. That's because uh, I just moved around place to place. Like I never got to settle down and have any friends, and so I was, you know, used to be in the outsider constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I started to open up a little bit in grade eight, but then I got that feeling again when I was in high school, like kind of the it's a new school. Like I didn't know all the people that everybody else knew, so I was back to being a bit of an outsider. Mm-hmm. And then it's when I got into fitness and working out that I broke out of that shell. Yeah, well, there was an intermediate uh, step, though. There was, like, I remember um, once you split with your mom, there was this uh, traumatic couple of months where, like, you moved out on your own, I think, at 16. and we're 15. Living, 15, living in that uh, crazy squat crack house on, like, Barton Street. Yeah. And after I, living with you for a few months. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I lived with you for a few months, but I got tired of your dad yelling about the, the milk, all the milk that he was going through. Listen, I've put together <laughs> a list of the things Sean has eaten this month alone. Four liters of milk a day. Ten <laughs> ten pounds of butter. Where did the ten pounds of butter go? I don't know. He must have been making sugar cookies. 17 boxes of craft dinner. <laughs> 25 pounds of white flour. <laughs> it was crazy. So, yeah, and then, then I moved. I had to, to leave, too. Eventually, by the time I was 18, I was tired of hearing that, like, apparently I was lazy. Apparently I wasn't doing enough chores. And it was just like, okay, I will get my own house and I will go on my own and do everything. And then I will be beyond scrutiny. Yeah. But the scrutiny never stops. This is a personality thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I went from your place, and then it was the uh, the Hamilton ghetto, the Hamilton hole, and um, you enlisted in uh, basic training. I remember. Yeah, you were in the army for a little while, and you were regaling me with anecdotes about having uh, to jump on a throw a, a helmet on top of fake grenades, and no, we had to scream, jump. Out. Yeah, we gas, had to- gas, gas, in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'd be eating lunch and they'd toss a freaking grenade in the room and someone had to jump on it. If you didn't jump on it, they'd be like, you're all dead. Pick up the log and you have to do like PT for like an hour with a giant log What's on PT? your uh, physical training. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. I used to get so damn tired after uh, a weekend at the army that I just. Like I, I, I just wouldn't even make sense when I'd talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'd go home and you would uh, make uh, two packages of hamburger helper, <laughs> more than a pound of ground beef, and uh, the fucking fridge in your house was from like 1962 or something. A little uh, uh, fucking teal ice box with a hot plate. I, all I had was a hot a plate. Fucking hot plate and the. Uh, the the frost would melt out of the the, the freezer box and it would leak on the ground. Yeah, have to mop it up every morning. Do the dishes in the bathtub? <laughs> in the fucking bathtub. All the like food bits and stuff would end up at the bottom of the the drain. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> Friggin' incredible. 
Like that really was a ghetto. Like when people go, oh, whatever, they complain about their parents and how they live. I'm like, shit. I've been there. If, if you, you should be able to empathize. No, I'm like, if you only knew what hell is, <laughs> try friggin' at 15 years old doing your dishes in a friggin' bathtub mm -hmm. and living on hot dogs and chunky soup for three years. You know? And then it was an upgrade when I could move upstairs because the, uh, the guy from Trinidad had built like a, a kitchen sink in there and a little counter. Yeah, I do remember that. And it was also a little bit more secure because on the bottom floor, you'd get all sorts of crazy sketch pads coming around in the middle of the night trying to find the previous tenants and saying like, Yo, Dale, you fucking owe me money, motherfucker. I'm going to kill you. Yeah, it's look like it's gonna be a tense night. Better hold on to the fucking lead bar while we sleep. Yeah, yeah, I had like weapons strategically placed all in my all in my apartment. It was crazy. If you've ever uh, if you ever get the chance, listen to the the audiobook or the novel. Read the novel. I am Legend. It has a very similar vibe to it, where this this dude has to fortify his little house because every night there's an, a vampire attack like vampire zombies try to come in and kill him yeah yeah the first time i moved in there i i was unloading the truck and it was like some it was a bunch of like biker looking guys having a party like next door and i'm moving my stuff in. i'm like holy shit and one guy looks at me hey I'm like 15 hey yeah just keep quiet and there'll be no problems <laughs> okay yeah so that was number one. Then number two. But at least Tony was with me when number two happened. Yeah. Remember Tony from Indiana? Ah. Tony, Tony. Tony, Tony, Tony. He was with me. That was when the guy that came over, he's like, One year later, I'm here to kick your ass. I'm like, what the fuck? I haven't even been here for a year. And then we both went outside with, like, steel bars. And he's like, Joslin's karate, ten years. Woo! <laughs> Like, holy crap. What did he mean? He was just crazy? I don't know what he was doing. I guess he was there to beat up the guy who lived there before me. And then, then he was, like, telling me. He was, like, I guess, because he saw that two guys have steel bars. Now he's going to scare us by telling, uh, you know, he's been in Jocelyn's karate for ten years. Yeah. Luckily, you had a pretty good turning sidekick. Or spinning yeah, back kick. Yeah, uh, that, that was still, no, that was before I got, like, I was really good with that. Like, there was a point when I was, like, 17 and I started working out and then I got, like, all the confidence. And, yeah, even that neighborhood ended up being good. Like, I made f uh, friends with a lot of the, the, the ghetto people there. And Wasn't there a, a moment where, where somebody actually made it through the door and you had kicked them through, out, back through the door? They kind of... No, that's when somebody was the apartment uh, no. and you had to kick them out the door. No, no, I was I was studying. I'm because I'm trying to friggin' better my life. I'm in university. <laughs> I'm studying, and I hear some guy like he's beating up a woman or something. I don't know what he was doing. He Jesus. was yelling, and it sounded like he was beating up a woman. I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like, hey, shut up! And then shut up just for a second, and then right back to it. Shut up! And then, like, not even a, a, a silence. He just kept on going. And then I... It sounded like maybe he wasn't beating a woman. He was just yelling in his own mind. I don't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. And finally, I, like, lost my shit. And I started punching the ground. I'm like, shut the fuck up! And he's like, that's it! 
I'm coming up there to kill you. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm like, oh, you bastard. So I wait, I heard him open his door and slam it. So I got went to my door and I heard him coming and then I heard go, him going up the stairs and I knew I had six stairs to go up. So as soon as I heard him get up the sixth stair, I opened the door and I like kicked him over the railing. <laughs> and he went ass over tea kettle? Or? Yeah, like he fell, he went right over like, yeah, head over heels over the railing. So I like punched him a couple times and I picked him up. And, like, body slammed him in the middle of Barton Street. Jesus Christ. And then, and then in a normal neighborhood, people would be, like, stopping and going, oh, my God, stop it. Or, or like, I'm calling the police. Mm-hmm. Instead, a car pulled up and they're like, yeah, kick his ass. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. So I'm like, and then I hear him. He's like, oh, I don't want to get beat up anymore. Aw. So then I, like, pulled him off the street and, like, tossed him back in his apartment. Yeah. So nobody had actually breached. And then the only other time that was kind of close to, to breaching was I was studying again. And then some guy's like, hey, Sean, come on out and party. <laughs> I'm like, no, man, I'm studying. He's like, fuck you. He starts throwing beer bottles at my door. What? Yeah. But again, he didn't. Unacceptable. He isn't the one who. Yeah. I opened the door and then beat him up. And he was like, I remember he was like 34 years old at the time. <laughs> I started just beating on him. And then at the end, he stands up. He's like, you're 17. (laughs) You're 17. (laughs) And then that was about it. And then he he reconciled that he might be over the hill. (laughs) Not going to call people on anymore. (laughs) 17-year-old just went out and beat me up. I remember one of the proudest early moments... You you loved that Mustang that you bought. It's like your first car. The orange Mustang. The orange Mustang that was covered in rust and like just barely held together, but it could still go fast. And there was a fucking like uh, screwdriver sticking out of the engine block. And I don't thinking of like the speeds that we would go in that car and the flimsy seat belts that we had. There's no way we would survive if that car hit anything or you lost control on the road uh, i remember there was this one time we were driving in the winter and we were going down on like centennial and we got, hit the bottom of um a large sloping centennial parkway or whatever it was and the car spun out and we were facing the 180 degree opposite direction of the flow of traffic and we could just see the headlights that were coming down the hill towards us and uh it was kind of like one of those moments where we were like don't panic. All right, here we go. Hope it doesn't stall. <laughs> the very last second, you gunned it and we got out of there. Oh, God. Freaks yeah. me out thinking of it. Oh, that car was something else. And that fucking service road that you would speed on. Yeah. And, you know, and I couldn't afford insurance, so I had no insurance <laughs> on it. And then I remember uh, remember that wacky cult church that I, I had to go to because of my mom? Mm-hmm. The Restoration Center. Restoration Center. And for... S- you, were, you were always kind of semi into it, though, because I think, like, no, no, you it, wanted a community. No, no. It was just because there was, uh, like, a couple of the, the kids that I liked. Like, right. There was Chris and Anthony. But that's part of the church. Yeah, but I, I, I actually hated going to church. Like, I dreaded it. Because I, I, you I, could have invited them out just to our house or whatever instead if you wanted to see them during the yeah, week. maybe. Yeah, maybe. And then I liked that Lauren girl. I remember I was obsessed with Lauren. Mm-hmm. I, got a, I got a funny 
parallel with that. Okay. My friend, uh, my high school friend, lost his virginity to that chick. What? Yes. Unbelievably, like later, it was like in grade uh, twelve or something, and uh, my friend uh, Steve came to me. He's like, "Well, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, but I lost my V card." I was like, "What? How is this possible? Tell me, tell me more details." And it ended up, I got introduced to her, and it was uh, Lauren from uh, from your church. You like, sure? Yeah. And I was That's like, "Crazy." Yeah, we were like, "Oh, double take." Yeah, I've met you before. Ah. Oh. But yeah, he fucked her at Canada's Wonderland and all sorts of things. <laughs> Not for the fact. Yeah, she turned so. into a bad girl. <laughs> yeah, I remember Gotta even just the demons. I remember even just like I, I I forget what I was doing, but like the back of my hand skimmed against her boob. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it didn't take much. <laughs> I kind of miss those days, you know, when like you had that teenage feeling where everything was super new. And when you liked a girl, it was like this burning intensity inside, and you couldn't stop thinking of them. I remember my little girlfriend in uh, in uh, uh, Winona, in the Winona days, Lindsay. I used to draw like portraits of her and stuff, and I had like one tiny little picture that I had from my my class portrait or whatever that I would keep under my bed, and I was, you she know, was gorgeous. Fuck, that was intense. Yeah, the uh, the feelings that you get when you're right. at that age. Um, it kind of makes me wonder. Um, like when you think of the greatest generation, right? And that concept of how our grandparents hooked up and married the first person that they had sex with when they were like 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And then they're with them until they're like 80 or 90. I think the only power to that, the only time that, that that makes sense is that there's something super intense about those first moments. And I think that it can reverberate through the rest of your life if you stick with it. Because... There is something funny about running into those people again where you imagine that they've kind of grown up and become completely different people and that you probably aren't going to have any chemistry anymore. But look at the two of us, right? Like, we don't spend that much time together. But when you make a bond with somebody in your childhood years, it tends to to stick, like, over time. You just have too much shared history at a time when you were really formative. You know what? I've I've noticed that a few times because in in personal training I come across like ten zillion different people in here, but and the most successful relationships of today mm-hmm. are high school sweethearts. Mm. Not too many relationships seem to last these days, but the 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 best ones seem to be high school sweethearts. Hmm. Yeah, so maybe that is uh, true to a degree, but the. I think the grandparents' generation, it was just a different generation as well. Like People, yeah. people would put up with abuse, verbal mm-hmm. abuse and physical abuse. That is a good point. And they, they, people believed in God a lot more. And it's like, oh, God will shun you if you get a divorce. And now we've kind of gone the opposite way, where people just, they get married in front of all these people. They're telling everyone, I'm going to be with you forever. And they may as well, six yeah. They may as well just be saying, "Will you go out with me?" Because they break up just as easy. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I think, like marriage, you should you should at least take it seriously. Like if you if you don't want to get married, don't friggin' get married. Yeah. I went to a, a my brother's wedding like three weeks ago. Mm. Whatever it was, three four weeks ago, and I watched him get married. I'm like, holy crap! That's the first like marriage I've been to since I was a little kid. Wow. And just listening to it, I'm like, holy crap. Like, they're swearing <laughs> to everybody that they're going to be together forever. Yeah. They're, swe- they're, they're telling a minister they're going to be together forever. I'm like, how dare 
all these people today just not even take that seriously. You've mm -hmm. got 200 people there watching this mm -hmm. and you're telling God, if you believe in a God that you're going to be together forever. And you just like, so many people just treat it like a grade eight boyfriend. You know, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't like you anymore. Get lost. Like, fuck off. Uh -huh. I wonder if it has to do with like, be, even being mindful of what's going on. You know, they, they're wrapped up in the tradition of it. They know that this is the way you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to put on a wedding. And are you even thinking about what you're saying? I can't even project five years into the future. That feels like an impossibly long time away yeah. for me. Like, I don't know where my life is going to be. I don't know if the fucking oceans are going to rise, if there's going to be a super volcano that wipes out the population. Um, it just seems so weird that people can... With the statistics, you know, on paper, the computer is telling you there is more than 70% likelihood that you guys are going to split up. Yeah. So what's yeah. going on? Are you? It's just a whole different generation. But I, I just think that these days, fine. If you don't want, if, if it's leading towards people not staying with each other, just don't, don't insult marriage and everybody that's coming out there to witness that. Like, fine, don't, don't get married. Right? Mm -hmm. So. I don't know. I think if I think if I if I actually get married, I will take that extremely seriously, which is why I'm, you know, my age now and still never been married. Yeah. But speaking of that teenage thing, the girl I'm with now, I do feel those same Aww. teenage feelings with. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. That's cute. So I am I'm glad I found somebody like that. I think it is possible to to get those uh intense feelings like when you were a teenager yeah it's not quite the seems... same it's not like when i touch her boob i like you know blow a load in my pants but, mm -hmm. but that's that's almost uh that's that's a good thing yeah because that's the downside of being uh you're almost crippled by your your emotional intensity at that age yeah you become kind of a, a weakling yeah where you can't handle any kind of uh, attention yeah yeah Exactly. Like going back to that grade seven thing with, with Lindsay, I remember there was an instance where uh, I was at like a, a dance with her, like the Valentine's Day dance. And they had done a ceremony where everybody had to like pick um, cards out of a bowl. And that's who you, your partner was going to be when you danced at the end of the night. And through some happenstance, the two of us both ended up with numbers that didn't match anything. And I was too scared to fucking just ask her to dance so the two of us sat on a fucking bench through oh. the whole last thing and you know didn't do anything and i still think about that to this day where it's just like that carpe diem kind of thing is like it's always better to just try don't allow yourself to be in a situation where you just go like you have these regrets about shit you never did that's the worst a feeling that you can have where yeah. something was easy just relax but you didn't do it yeah that happens a lot when you're a kid though like I, I think i think you're just developing as a kid so mistakes like that like you can't really regret it too much like you're just a shy kid it's when you make those mistakes as an adult mm -hmm. i think that you need to look back and and regret like you know but when you're a kid you're just developing like i everybody does kind of stupid things and doesn't take chances they should have taken and blah 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 but you're you're just developing that's all part of just yeah i remember so many girls i i was just obsessed with and i just i wouldn't do anything i'm just scared i was paralyzed i remember mm -hmm. jean a lovrick the the 
the girl of my dreams to that point, like Cindy and Tabitha, remember them? They got her to come over to me. They're like, go and talk to him. He really likes you. And guess what? She did. Yeah. I was there. I was wearing my green jeans and that collared green shirt. (laughs) Wait, you have matching green. Oh, it was pathetic. Green shirt, green pants. Yeah, it was pathetic. That's unusual. Green fucking jeans. So, Mr. Green Jeans. Yeah, so here's the girl of my dreams, and I'm like paralyzed. I'm like, hi. And she's like, hi. I'm like, "Uh, what do you have this period? (laughs) She's like, "Um, I I have history. I'm like, oh, I've got uh, algebra and geometry. Oh, cool. See ya. Like, it's like you, I could regret that, yeah. Or I could go, oh, like that was just me, you know, developing my confidence. And same with your your Lindsay situation, uh, just developing the confidence, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's those regrets that you have. You have to go through those things in order to give your your brain and your personality a baseline, so that you're reminded yep. of, of things like, screwed up with the girl your dreams now you've lost her forever baseline <laughs> yeah <laughs> now next time you you feel that way do something about it you pussy that's right <laughs> yeah and that's what happened to me too but I, i'd say i i owe a lot of, in my case i owe a lot of that to fitness where i just said you know what i don't i don't give a fuck what anybody says mm-hmm. like, i'm just gonna do my thing and i that's when i remember i'd be like just walking up to girls hey what's up and, <laughs> Yeah, very rarely would I get intimidated anymore, and that's, you know, I went off to the... Yeah, and I vicariously learned a little bit about that by, like, visiting you, because I would leave my chicken shit um, high school friends and come to fucking dirty Hamilton East and just, like, sleep on your couch over the weekend and, you know, see the dark side of life, (laughs) but also the, the kind of fun that you can have in a place like that, because... There's just, you know, roving drunks. There's there's uh, neighborhood girls that are looking to have some fun. There's the whole spectrum of life gets it loses a little bit of its political suburban. It loses a little bit of those suburban politics and everybody's yeah. a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. And you can just walk up to somebody on the street and have a conversation and then well, that's how go I to met- Byway and get your fucking <laughs> hamburger helper and that's right. sense of community. Well, that's how I met Mandy, right? I just called her from across the street. Mm-hmm. Hey, woo! Come on over, and they did, and here we are. You know, what was she doing hanging out in downtown Hamilton? Oh, she was a little shithead. <laughs> she was going to some guy. He was like a, a, a like a like a druggie, and at the time, she was like dating some guy that was part of a gang, the Kenora Boys or whatever. The Kenora Boys. Yeah, and then uh, what are you notorious for? Oh, we've done everything. We've, like shoplifted jeans from the fucking uh, Eastgate, Eastgate jean thieves. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I just met her like, woo, come on over, and then uh, that was that. Mm-hmm. And then you got a little girlfriend out of that whole encounter as well. Little girlfriend. Little girlfriend. Those were those were both yeah. the establishment of our uh, of our romantic relationships. Yes. The in, the intensity. Um, yeah, you had a baby. Knocked up a 15-year-old. <laughs> but you were also... 19. You were 19. She was 15. Yeah. Fuck. You grew Crazy. up so fast. But then she went from being as much of a badass as I was. 
I was I always focused on school and and wanting to be better in my life. Mm-hmm. So she went from dating a gang member and getting like 60s barely passing school mm-hmm. to here we are together. She's pregnant. Everybody's thinking her life is going to go downhill, but then her marks went way up. Got mm-hmm. accepted to college. And now she's got a, you know, fantastic career and we've got a 14-year-old daughter that's actually getting 88 average in school now you know so that's what turned out okay and it's one of those things too um the thing that i'm envious of is by the time that i have a kid and it graduates 500 years old 60 years old by the time it gets out of school (laughs) and uh the the upside to to teen stuff is like you've got a lot of energy so you can chase around babies and, and things like that and still have a good time you kind of you share that fun and that enthusiasm. You can watch cartoons with one another and stuff. I'm worried that I'm going to be the kind of dad that's just like Sean Connery and fucking Last Crusade, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Where the kid comes home from his bed, like, Dad, Dad, you'll never believe. Ah, ah, ah. In Greek. <laughs> Indiana, shut up. You left just when you're becoming interesting. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Except the only thing is both, uh, you know, both kids, it was kind of failed relationships so i didn't get to spend uh all those you know all that time running around and playing around like when i see my little guy now when he's in the area we went to some trampoline park and i was oh, able that's to, cool yeah both jumping around for like an hour and a half you know so stuff like that i know what you mean with with the youth and, and all that kind of stuff i didn't really get to enjoy my daughter the way i wanted to i think i was too selfish mm. like too young yeah too young because you're selfish yeah so now and i think i'm pretty young at uh pretty young at heart though i still like to behave mm-hmm. i've got my very serious side but i've got the side where i like to act like a kid still and- but there must be also a lot of cool things that are happening like um having a teenager is has its own upsides there's there's cool things about that where you can have like more um, mature conversations with them about how they see the world and what they want to do and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it seems like it would be a nice contrast to have like a little, little kid that you can just goof around with and like kind of an older kid that you can talk about strategy. (laughs) Yeah. This is what you got to know about people. This is their real nature. (laughs) Yeah. And it's cool because, yeah, or like her uh, her friends still like to actually, like, oh, there's your dad in his Escalade. And <laughs> they like to kind of talk to me. Oh, You're I not. love this song. We listen to the same music. So that, that stuff's kind of cool. But, yeah, just the only thing that sucks is, like, I don't get to see her as much as I'd like to because, you know, she's th- four cities away now. Mm. Yeah. Where are they? Where are they living? They're in Grimsby. Ah. And then I've moved back to Oakville. Right. So. Yeah, but we went out to the movies the other day, so that was good. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, and I mean, she's only she's only a few years away from being mobile enough that she can come to your city, and she'll get, eventually get a license and stuff. And yeah, I tried. I, I tried getting her used to the uh, the go bus, mm. but uh, I think she's pretty pretty useless on the go bus. We just did a show in. I had a a, a UFE show on April fourth in Mississauga, but yeah. it was like. In the ghetto area. I'm, next year, I'm moving it from there because it's like ghetto. Malton. 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 You don't even want to be there. <laughs> and it's not, uh, you know, it's it's not a nice area. So Haley had to go just to... Bodie, the, the MC of our event, had some, like, gall issue. 
He's like, can someone go to the store and get me some uh, Epsom salts, like edible ones, edible ones? And I'm having, a, I'm having an attack here, Sean. I'm in bad Jeez. shape. He's just a weirdo. But anyway, so uh, Haley decides to go. Shopper's Drug Mart, which is like just like a block away. Right. But she's from Grimsby, which is like, you know. People walk. Hick town. It's like. Uh, People walk places. Yeah, it's like the old country town. And she got lost in Malton. Just going a block. She went to Shopper's Drug Mart and then out of Shopper's Drug Mart. She got turned walked, around. She, yeah, she got turned around, walked to some wacky train tracks and there's people like hooting and hollering at the, on the street. Yeah. And she like phoned. She's like, oh, what's going on? And like crying to her mother. So we had to send somebody out to get her. So mm-hmm. I don't know how, uh, how mobile she'll be when it comes to getting out to the city. She might be. Uh, a few years out from that still. But I mean, that'll teach her a lesson, right? She'll just... Don't pay, be stupid. Pay, pay a little bit of attention. <laughs> you know, retrace your steps. Don't uh, get lost in Malton. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who knows Malton, it's a pretty uh, disgusting area. Mississauga is a city built around a mall. For miles around, you can see the same cookie cutter house. It's, it's a true experiment in taking... A, a city that was nice. It was very uh, an affluent city, beautiful nature. Suburb. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a suburb, a beautiful suburb. It's an it's a true testament to what happens when you decide. You know what? Fuck it. We're just going to keep building houses and everywhere. Oh, there's some land there. Good. We're going to plop a store there, and oh, we're going to have an industrial area there. Shoppers Drug and, Mart, Loblaws. Yeah. Uh, fucking milestones. Yeah. Uh, oh, we need some affordable housing, so let's build a bunch of shit townhomes. And Mississauga's turned from a beautiful town to somewhere that's getting the same reputation that, that Hamilton once had. Mm. Like ghettos. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember the gym I was working at not too long ago. I came there one time. The, the parking lot was taped off. Because somebody got shot in there. Like, in the parking lot. Yeah. Two hours before I showed up, somebody was shot in the parking lot. <laughs> and then another day, in that same area, there was a police command center because someone took her kid. Her kid. Someone took her kid by the legs and started smashing her kid against the wall. What? And it, apparently it was brutal because I knew uh, one of the EMS people. Oh, um, she must have been out of her mind. Yeah. Well, she pled insane. I don't know what, what the deal was. I think she just lost her shit temporarily, but then yeah. tried to... I think she might have killed her kid and then tried to like do some really psycho stuff to make it look like she was insane. Hmm. You know, like who if she like suffocated her kid and then decided, oh, fuck, I'm going to be charged with murder. I need to do something crazy. Hmm. Speculation. She, she did some crazy... Anyways, it was crazy. I'm like, that. all in that same area, that, that neighborhood across the street, was mm. a complete ghetto. And then you drive down the street, again, complete ghetto. Houses that were nice 10 years before that. Grass overgrown, like garages falling apart. Disgusting. Like, that's a true experiment in just building up a city faster than it can handle. Yeah. Because one thing that, that I think controls uh, downtown Hamilton is is mixed use. You know, I'm a poor person and I'm across the street from like a guy who's a homeowner and his house is a million and a half dollars. And, you know, you go for a little bit further down the street and there's um, there's Parkdale where, 
you'll run into people who are who are really below the poverty line and have like mental issues and things and then you go across the street again and there's like a condo tower i think if you get if you get too much separation where there's like all the rich people on one side of the city and all the poor people on the other side it just gets too intense you yeah. know like it, they encourage both sides encourage one another to get way too far apart yeah, I also think it's to do with stuffing people in each other's face. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Missis- uh, Mississauga, like I said, it started out beautiful and, and, and they just intensified it so much. Mm-hmm. But then Oakville, right next door, they've really tried to control growth. The crime rate is almost nothing. Like Mississauga, it's gone from zero to 100 crime rate-wise. Rate yeah. And Oakville was holding it down, but you now see all the intensification. Mm. and you know, shoddy housing being built. And I think you just create environments where there's so many people packed in together. And that's where you have, that's where you have problems. Right. You know, I also, I I always really enjoyed the time that I was in Oakville. I didn't really like the city. It was a little bit too quiet for me, but I always appreciated the, um, the ravine system that they have. They've got these small uh, paths that are kind of used for drainage, I guess, for the streets. And they're almost like mini parks with little paths that you can kind of jog through or whatever. Little uh, narrow um, areas of green space that yeah. happen almost like every block. Yeah. Because I feel like people but they're trying need... to get rid of that. They're, Re- trying, they're trying to get rid of that. So what? Like, it's like, oh, there's some land there. Good. Let's build. <laughs> you know? And, and builders are actually trying to start imposing on that ravine, that beautiful ravine that they have there. It's mm-hmm. disgusting. Yeah. It's... it's I don't know. It's disgusting what what's going on in in Ontario. Like with the, the land we have, like there's other countries that would beg just to have an acre of that beautiful, growable land we have, and here we are mm-hmm. just paving over top of it. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. And we we saw the the greatest example of that having grown up in Stony Creek, because we used to be known as like peach country. You know, there was we were surrounded by vineyards and peach orchards and raspberry picking. And Edie Smith was kind of a, an institution yeah. when we grew up. And over the, the, the 20 years that uh, that passed between then and, and now, we saw all of that arable land that was pushed up by the fucking glaciers 10,000 years ago just paved over, I think. I mean, did, do you think that, that it's all still under there if we dug up the, the cement? Or did they go as far as, as like transplanting that soil elsewhere and sell it's all into china or something yeah i have no idea what happened there because i find like sometimes when you see townhouses being installed they'll just cleave the ground and leave like red clay and yeah. then they'll lay an inch of soil of sod on top of it after the, the houses are done yeah oh gives me the chills it is it's kind of yeah it's it's kind of sad i don't know i'm not a big fan of the way uh urban sprawl is taking place mm-hmm you know. And the fact that the, the the government, the elections in suburban areas like Hamilton are forgettable. Like nobody even takes an interest in the civic elections. But these are the people responsible for that development. They could pass laws to limit it, but they don't. Yeah. Now, one thing I think Hamilton is doing a good job. I've, I've been kind of paying attention. Like as I was living there, they, they're really trying to do like some good things to clean up that city. Mm-hmm. I just wish they would get rid of the damn steel factories because as long oh, yeah. as they're there, it's always going to have... My brother plan. recycles stuff for a living. He runs a recycling company and he's licking his chops because I think he has the rights to recycle all of that equipment 
when they finally shut down the mills, he's going to send it all to India or whatever and make a lot of money. But yeah, he feels exactly the same way you do that. It's, it's, it's the source. That's why that community is, is more poor than Burlington, right? They just need to shut it down. Well, every, if you go to Oakville, you go to Mississauga, you go to Toronto and Burlington, along the lakeshore is the richest area of the city, all the multi-million dollar homes. In Hamilton, <laughs> instead of the multi-million dollar homes, you have disgusting steel factories. Mm-hmm. Like, leave that to the countries that are now manufacturing countries, like China. You know, China's big into steel. Like, leave it there. Like, Canada's supposed to become a, a knowledge economy. Get rid of these damn steel mills. Like, build something beautiful there. Mm-hmm. Have parks. Have some houses. You want to you wanna intensify? Have some beautiful condos there. Like, get rid of that. You can turn Hamilton into something better. Because, yeah, as long as those steel factories are there and the black soot falls out of the air Mm -hmm. you can never develop within a five kilometer radius of there yeah you'll you'll never get uh you know middle class people wanting to move in there and there's a there's a very there's an underrated um idea of of uh the value the expectation and the the value that people's perceptions of the community has like it's it's weird the 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 the, uh, reputation of hamilton from people in Toronto or people in the surrounding area is that of a dirty steel town and gross. And why would you ever move there or invest in it? And that just, that story needs to be eroded. Yeah. Because Hamilton has five hospitals there. Like it's Mm -hmm. a world class, huge medical community, great university. McMaster. Yeah. Is now like taking up half the city with all these new campuses. Like, and the entrepreneurial spirit in Hamilton is huge. They just built uh, an innovation factory, mm-hmm. like this monstrous building, which is just all about, uh, you know, uh, funding for for tech companies and mentors for tech companies and stuff like that. They've got mm-hmm. the Lions Lair, which is like this big, huge, sponsored competition for entrepreneurs. Whoa. So, so in that regard, like Hamilton is doing some really, really good things. The downtown is being revitalized. Mm-hmm. They've got some big master plan for that. Yep. And a lot of my friends my age, they can't afford houses in Toronto, and nobody wants to move to fucking Scarborough. No. Scar- Scarberia. So they're uh, making plans to all buy houses downtown Hamilton because it has that downtown vibe that you get from Toronto. Oh, it's awesome. It's affordable. Yeah, I, I think Hamilton has some awesome parts. I just wish they'd get rid of the damn steel factories. But that that would be unpopular for any council to consider at this point. Mm-hmm. But but other than that, I think they've done some really awesome things with the city because you used to have some big crime there, yeah. and uh, I think it's really really come down. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, the thing that I was super excited about last time I visited, I went down to Confederation Park for the first time after 10 years or something and they'd had um, a complete shift in the management of the park system there it used to be when we were kids confederation park was all about golf uh, course style grooming you know it had sod and short grass all over the park and you had a water slide attraction in the center of it and you had kind of um a tailgate party atmosphere down by like uh, the fucking hutches fish and chip shop yeah and then you had 
a, a beach that was mostly like broken gravel. You remember the gray gravelly beach that we used to hang out on in the fucking summers and it would be blistering hot on the, the stones of the beach and the water was ice fucking cold <laughs> and there was no plant life in between. Um, they changed the approach to the park and they've completely terraformed that whole beachfront leading up to my parents' house on the beach strip. Yeah. They've added um, localized plants so that the soil can start to be held onto and not erode. Um, and it's starting to look like Cape Cod. You know, it's got like these amazing beach grasses and flowers and trees and stuff along along the, the lake itself. Um, there's, a, there's a finer sand that started to collect now that the erosion has been taken care of. In Confederation Park itself, they've let it um, naturalize and go back to uh, just indigenous plants and weeds and, and overrun. Um, songbirds have come back. There's a fucking beaver in in the area. Um, all of these things that uh, that uh, that make it feel like a, a real place that you can go to escape the urbanism if you just want to relax and be in nature. Yeah, it's uh, it's come back, and I love that that system of um, if you go into that area near Confederation Park. I don't really know what it's called. It's there's all these bridges that they've constructed that go in between the overpasses and okay. head out towards the middle of the city. And if you're on one of those pedestrian bridges, you can watch like the red-tailed hawks hunting around the area and attacking uh, rabbits and stuff like oh, that. Oh, nice. It's, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that you see in Hyde Park in Toronto, and I, always, I was really excited to see that a little bit of that coming into Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah, they've done pretty much everything everything right that they can like i said it's just the damn steel factories (laughs) just get it the hell out of here because like everything else about hamilton is something to promote and boast about but i'm big into real estate so if i can (laughs) if i can get my shit together i i like i've already got a condo in hamilton that i hold on to yeah so i live in oakville but i've got a condo in hamilton that i'm renting out Mm mm-hmm I want to uh, I want to invest in more real estate in Hamilton because mm-hmm. that's supposed to be the next boom market. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now's the time because everybody, everybody is, is scrambling around. It's like yeah, Toronto's the epicenter. They said the average home price in in Toronto has now eclipsed a million dollars, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then it's it goes out completely inflated too. It's like not worth that much. I think. Oh, the homes that are going for a million dollars are disgusting at this point. I think that they're kind of projecting, they're saying like, how much is the land worth in this area? And if it became a condo tower, how much it would be worth? And then they kind of, they step down from there, it seems like. Because okay. it doesn't seem to be any connection between the value and, and what you're getting. You know, it's... Not at all. It's just that, house. well, it's, it's, it's just su- simple supply and demand in Toronto right now. Mm-hmm. Like you get 20 bids on one house at this point. And, and, I don't know how that many people have this much money to, mm. to, to pay that. Cheap credit is what's going on. Yeah. Imagine interest rates just notch up by 2%. People are going to be just crushed. Crushed. But uh, yeah, if I can invest in some real estate, that's definitely what I want to get into. Mm. Yeah. Because Hamilton, like I said, it's like the epicenter is in Toronto and then it's just becoming so unaffordable. Like, I went to some seminar and it's saying even Oakville now this year, the average home price might go up to a million dollars. And then I'm looking at the developments and they're shitty little uh, 
townhouses they're building. Shitty. Like, disgusting. Like, cheapest of the cheap. Starting in the low 400s for your friggin' 500 square foot townhouse with zero room to even move. A friend of my dad's is a contractor, and he was assessing one of those buildings. And he was saying just basic things, like how the ceiling is not level. <laughs> the, the wall is crooked. <laughs> oh, yeah. holding up the ceiling. And they every corner that they can cut, they do. Like the, the cheapest possible materials. Absolutely. It's disgusting. So, Hamilton, you can still get like some of those old Victorian homes for like 200 grand, 300 grand. Mm-hmm. And they're my, huge. My friend Kelly Seagram posts, she moved to Hamilton and she wants other friends from Toronto to go so she'll have somebody to talk to. And so she posts... Hamilton real estate things where it's just like look at this awesome house 250,000 come move come here move here keep me now. company <laughs> I was actually looking at uh, the new development they've got there it's the old hotel um, what's that hotel called the Royal Connaught mm. it's got a history going back to like 1917 and then the hotel closed I think 10 years ago or something weird and it was just nothing and then finally, these uh, builders came and decided, you know what, we're going to try and revive the actual structure of the building, but we're going to turn this into condos. Mm-hmm. Downtown Hamilton now, those condos start at four hundred grand. Mind you, they're luxury condos with nice finishes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the direction Hamilton is going. And then they've got that massive plan for Gore Park. Like, they really want to revitalize this. Yeah, what are they doing with Gore Park? Yeah, before it was just this little, you know, little little area in the middle of the road and oh there's a fountain and whatever, but like they're trying to make it like something like big where people right in the middle of a downtown can actually the town you know, square. Ha- yeah, hang out, maybe host some festivals there mm-hmm. and Isn't that where the Super Crawl is? Where they do the the arts festival? Super Crawl's actually on the street on oh, James okay. Street. So but Gore Park, I know they started to do some stuff. They started to have like some free uh, little expos going on, but I think they want to expand that and make that kind of a the epicenter, you know. Mm. So, yeah, kind of looking forward to that. But uh, changes. Yeah, <laughs> I need to buy something before the the prices jack up like they are in Oakville. It's a. Uh... It's so weird to see the shift in things. I mean, I don't think anybody can top how much change that our grandparents saw because they literally went from, as kids, horse-drawn wagons with like blocks of ice being brought into their house. And by the time they died, there was the internet and there was people in space and, you know, crazy development everywhere. Um, But in our lifetime, I think what has happened is we have so much connection to information nowadays. Like, I think that we are the most aware generation in in a kind of a weird way. Like, you have access to everything that's happened in history. You have an awareness of about what's going on in China, the other side of the planet. And you can talk to people via video connection in that place. And people regularly do. Like, a lot of the, my friends, I've been seeing a trend towards globalization where they live abroad for a couple of years for a job and then they come home and you're able to do that because you have a tool like Facebook that allows you to keep touch with what's going on in your community and kind of have at a, at a, at an arm's length, I can kind of feel like I know what's going on in your life, even though we don't talk every day. 
and I feel like that's that's a very uh, transformative thing that's kind of going on because you can imagine like how how much scarier it would be back in the seventies if you had to go to India for six months, right? How like it would be so weird to be cut off and you'd have all this culture shock and and stuff like that. But nowadays you got this tether where you can still get your your feed of like information that's going on in your hometown and people are making videos and you know you get all these reports and stuff that allow you to be emboldened to make changes and things yeah i don't know i think generation uh well the baby boom generation was probably the peak of society in my opinion hmm. i think uh i know you don't agree but as far as intelligence i think what what's happened is we've gone so far to relying on technology mm-hmm. that most people can't read a map so if you got stuck in the middle of the forest you don't know what the hell you're doing like <laughs> oh my god i don't have my iphone to tell me where i'm going um even my daughter who i said is getting an 88 average right. in in uh in school i remember listening to howard stern and he had a competition on there uh, a, a game show type thing and it was called are you dumber than a box of rocks and he had five <laughs> three strippers on there answering basic questions and for fun it was on and i'm like Haley, see if he can beat the strippers and she could not beat the strippers in in basic questions right. who invented Is the it trivia yeah okay. who invented the telephone uh what what did the f and jfk stand for she didn't know any of this and it's like people could go oh well why do you even need to know that and blah 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 blah. but it it just speaks to how dumbed down we're becoming and how much we rely on computers for our knowledge right like people in the baby boom generation if they're going to china and they're going to do business there they're going to learn chinese and be able to basically communicate in chinese what we do now is we've got an iphone that can read over text and before our eyes change the text into English. Now there's programs that you talk into the phone and it's coming out at the other person in their language. Yep. It's disgusting. Well, oh, there are neural connections. Our neural connections are, are going away. People are dumbed down. And people could go, well, they're just learning what they need to, to, to learn to deal to deal with all the information. But if you took a baby boom person. Right. They have the neural connections to learn at a much faster rate. Mine either 60 years old now. They've got all this other knowledge. But if you took them and you told somebody today to learn a computer program and somebody from the baby boom, I guarantee the baby boom people, they still run They still run the show. Mm. Bill Gates, you know, Warren Buffett in the world of investing. Um, you know, Steve Jobs. These are all the baby boomers that their learning curve is so much faster with all these neural connections. People are just completely reliant on computers now. It's kind of scary where, where the generation is going. I think that um, what ends up happening is everybody older than us has a kind of things were better in the old days type of attitude as things go forward, and they miss the new talents that are emerging so you, you focused on like two or three examples of like superstar baby boomers. But there's lots of baby boomers that are completely hopeless at everything. They can't, they don't learn languages. They don't know how to use a computer. They're scared of, of change and stuff. 
I agree that there's a lot of kids that don't know a lot of trivia anymore, but one could argue that it's it's a wasted skill because in an always-on world where you can Google when the War of 1812 happened, you don't need to remember it anymore. And instead, what the valuable skills are, do you have a posture of fearlessness where you're willing to accept change and solve interesting problems that you've never been faced with before? And are you willing to have an attitude where you can lead in a circumstance where you're willing to like speak your mind and start up a YouTube channel or start up a this or start up a that, that kind of initiative is becoming more valuable and more of a characteristic of the next generation than somebody who is very good at remembering facts. And it's, it's an important evolution, I think, because we're on the very beginning of like this whole internet and computer integration thing. It was, you know, the music business was the first thing to be toppled. We're only 10 years away from the same thing happening to banking, the same thing happening to law, the same thing happening to doctors. Like if you've got a, a Watson computer in your hospital that can, you can talk to it and say like, I've got a swelling in my side and I've got, uh, you know, lesions that are coming out of my skin. You know, what do you think is wrong, Watson? Watson can tell you the, the top three examples using like all of the analysis that's ever been done for patients. Whereas a doctor, they have to, to focus in on like a, their own little practice where they say, you know, I know feet or I know babies or I know blank. You know, they can't possibly know everything. So if you're expecting, if, you're, if you have any job where you can write down the steps and you're following a formula throughout the day, a computer can do it better. And so it's the social stuff that is powerful now. Like, can you connect with another person? Can you inspire confidence in them? Can you influence them? Can you reassure them if they're scared? All of those social things are becoming the the main valuable thing in humans, I think, again. Yeah, I don't know. I I find the like I'm not, I'm not even I'm not part of the baby boom generation so I'm not the one to say ah back in my day like I think I think starting with my generation we've slowly gotten stupider I I Easy. think I think our work ethic isn't as high I think people are too entitled I think people do rely way too much on computers like the the summer of 2003 proved that something can go wrong the mm -hmm. power can go out Mm -hmm. We are vulnerable, and if we rely just on computers, we we are vulnerable. Like we, how do you problem solve? How do you, and and what I mean with the ability to memorize or the ability to solve a math problem isn't about memory. It's it's about building those neural connections, like you know, exercising your brain, making it do something. Yeah. But uh, the the technology I was just talking about that with a with a friend the other day I haven't seen in like six years. And it is scary the way technology is going, though, too. Like, that, that's, that's scary when you're saying robots can do everything better. So if you plug in your iPhone, for example, and it's on, yeah. but the screen is black. Right. You, you press the button so the screen is black, but it's plugged in. You can say, hey, Siri, and it wakes It'll up. It'll perk up. It wakes up it's and wonders in. what... So that means the microphone is always on, and most people don't turn their phones completely off at night. They mm -hmm. just press that button, right. and it's black. But the fact that you can say, hey, Siri, means that it's always recording you. 
and they've got now Amazon wants to do drones and they've now got uh, what was it called Boston Project or something Project Boston with these dogs yeah the Boston Dynamic Boston Dynamics you can kick the dog as hard as you want and the computer knows how yeah it knows how to make it so the dog won't fall over Mm -hmm. can you imagine a near future where a fucking computer guided barge pulls up on your shoreline and 50 of these armored dogs run off and they just have sensors on it where they spot a human face detection and they fire guns at it and they're just used as a swarm to eliminate all human life well that's what i mean that's that's what's getting scary about technology so like if i've got uh gps technology on my phone combined with the microphones and these these drones Mm -hmm. you know how we found out that the government is always listening to us yeah so if i say i love terrorism and blah 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 blah, the phone picks that up oh Boop, 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 boop. And we Put send, that in the file. We send a friggin' drone over this guy and we can figure out exactly where he is based on all the microphones and mm-hmm. the distance from the microphone he is. And we send dogs in. That's A, what's scary. Right. B is computers are really eliminating us. Like humans will become the weakest link in everything. Mm-hmm. They're, they're developing an intelligence way faster than we are. Right. And and I feel like it's going to a point where they always see us as the weakest link. Okay, we're going to eliminate your jobs. We're going to eliminate your jobs. We know how to do that now. We're going to eliminate your job. The thing that I, I find um, exciting about automation, though, is that I really feel like we've got the tools now to start building the Star Trek future. You know, we, we're, we're headed towards a place where ideally in the future we won't have to work. Like, that's one of the things that has been so crazy about the intensification of the last, like, um, century or so, is everybody works insane hours towards what goal, right? You, you need to build all of this industrial stuff, and then you need to die with enough inheritance to give your kids a good head start. Um, but if you look at something like Star Trek, uh, the the idea of a utopia where people live in an economy of abundance like you've got replicators and machines that can just make you food and provide you housing and stuff at a low rate it would liberate people from the necessity of of working just to make the economy go around and instead your life can be put towards um your own satisfaction where it's like uh you know if you want to be a person who just puts on fitness academy shows it'll be untethered from having to make that economically viable, right? You can just devote your life to um, giving the gift of motivating and encouraging people to have good bodies and better nutrition and stuff like that. And you don't have to try to make it work with the economy all the time. Um, Somebody can be a painter. Somebody can be an architect if they choose. And the robotic tools will allow more people to be able to express their, their interests that way. If you don't base it on an, on an economy, though, like how do you eliminate competition? Because at some point, you've got a saturation of competition, and, and you don't have, I don't know, for example, in, in the fitness world, there's 10 different organizations in Canada. Mm-hmm. Four or five of them are just complete crap. Like They just run crap shows, and then nobody shows up. 
and it's because there's too many organizations. So now, okay, well, that you know, I don't need to make this economically viable. So there's a hundred of us, and we're all full of good ideas because we can spend all our time. And now you've watered down fitness competitions so much that no one stands out. I feel like the the economy forces the best to thrive, and and if you don't thrive, you you die. You know, well, your business dies, not you. There's definitely aspects of that, but one only needs to look at something like YouTube and you'll see a level playing field. There's still going to be stars that, that come out. There's going to be people who have a surplus of attention that keeps them going. And there's people who aren't getting attention and moving on to other things because they're, they're tired of working in a vacuum. They're tired of not having the feedback where people motivate them to keep showing up and miss them when they're gone. Yeah. So I think that you're right in in that there would be a lot of upstarts every year. There'd be somebody who's going to try to take on the UFE. They're going to. There's just. I'm going to. I'm a rival organization, and I'm going to try to get people to come. The people that are in your tribe that already know the value of the thing that you're putting on, and the the fact that you've got all the talent, they're going to. Like, does anybody bother trying to start a new wrestling organization now? You've basically got WWE, and then you've got tiny little indie things where you know people from high school like put little shows together with their friends and their their b-list talent tna was there for example tna started an organization and then vince mcmahon essentially choked them out and you know through through wwe network and putting way more money into the events and he can just buy the talent if you if you end up stumbling upon somebody who's awesome Vince McMahon waves a million dollars in front of their face. So that's what I mean. So the the economy still makes makes a difference. You know what I mean? Because they don't have the money that Vince McMahon does, so he just crushes them. Okay, you know what? If I my events aren't that much better, if they're still not drawing people from mm-hmm. you, you know what? I'm just going to buy your best guys. So now you got nobody. Yeah. You know that's this- what he did with WCW too, mm-hmm. right? WCW is actually catching on and finally vince mcmahon says you know what fine i'm gonna end this and i'm just gonna buy out right you know so the economy still kind of it dictates it dictates a lot of things and there's always going to be shadows of that regardless of what we shift to but it's important to remember that you know we've been human beings genetically modern for a hundred thousand years we've had civilization for you know ten ten thousand years um there's a lot of there was a lot of time in between where we didn't have jobs like the idea of industrial jobs where you show up and are told what to do for eight hours and then you get a paycheck at the end of the day that you can spend on consumer goods it's kind of a new thing and it's possible that we could move towards a future where that doesn't happen anymore and so like rightly things might be way different you know when you're saying oh it might suck more because we don't have this economic incentive to get better we might have to figure out different ways to in- motivate people that aren't tied to. Isn't like, it messed dollars? up where we're going though? Like, for example, the what we do now. Like, I could never run a whole fitness organization around the world, mm-hmm. just me. Yeah, thirty years ago, that's no. just not possible. So, the way technology is going is as much as it's great to think that there could be a utopia. Technology has actually made it worse on us and people are burning out a lot faster because instead of doing the job of one person i'm doing the job that 50 people could have done whatever because 
I've always got email on and I always have my phone and I can communicate to anybody in the world and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I can respond to messages and now I can do this job because I've just automated it, but I've got to oversee all the automation. It's, it's really scary. And when you see what's happening with the Google glass, you know, I, I saw people walking around at a conference with Google glass. It looked like the fucking Terminator. (laughs) They had the red thing in their eye. I'm like, what the, this is fucking scary. Yeah. And, and you're going to have shit beamed into your eyes and your brain. I, I don't think the human brain can deal with everything that's going to We're come becoming to cyborgs. We literally are becoming cyborgs. So the brain's just going to shut off and the machine's going to tell us exactly what to do. It's fucking scary. I, I don't, I don't know. You seem more optimistic. I'm fucking scared of where the future is going. I think people are going to become stupid and we're going to become cyborgs. You're going to see people walking around with Google Glass going, oh, we're... Where do I fucking go? Because, you know... How, Is it how, time to go to the bathroom, Google Glass? Like, you've yes. got so much stuff Shit. beaming through your eye. You've got GPS on, and you're monitoring this. There's no way you're able to pay attention to what's going on in and front of you. And then you're also um, forgetting the pharmaceutical connection, too, right? So you can have this person who's on complete autopilot is just following the instructions of the machine down to the point where... Uh, the machine knows you have a serotonin imbalance. In, in so it knows that it's time to motivate you by giving you a boost of serotonin. And so it tells you to take your pill at 1235. And you pop that and you get a boost of like happy feelings because you've followed the script enough. And then it's like time for caffeine. And then it's time for this. And then it's time for a Xanax because it's kind of to go to bed. You know, you become like a chemical extension of, of the machine. Yeah. So uh, the future doesn't, uh, doesn't make me happy. Um, I never want, I never want to die. Like I'm, I'm fucking scared of dying. I don't believe in God or anything. But uh, if I could have lived in in the fifties, yeah, you know, where where times were a lot simpler, and you saw those cars with the fins, and people would come out in the 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 restaurant. Well, hi, Sean. Yeah, they'd have the the you know they'd have the roller skates, and you you lived in these tight little communities where everyone knew their neighbor. Yeah, like how many neighbors do you know around here? Uh, it depends on what you know, what you mean by know. Yeah, but yeah. back in the day, it's like oh, you know, uh, I have can a community. I, can I borrow some milk? Sixty or seventy people that I keep in touch with and hang out and have breakfast with and stuff. I had breakfast with my my neighbor the other day. Yeah, and um, it's cool, and then that's maybe. You know, but I I know in in modern suburbia, most people do not know the person living next to them. Interesting. You ran out of sugar. Well, fuck, tough luck, man. You better go to the the, the store and get it. Because do you think that it's a habit thing, or it's by necessity? Like you could go introduce yourself, say like, hey, I don't want to be a you could. weird, you isolated. Could, but but every everybody now is is so like oh like in, don't invade my privacy. Like I mean, it's it. it the fifties, for example, was a whole different way of thinking. Times were just simpler. You mm. did your career, you got married, and and marriage meant something. And a career my perception meant of it was, in the fifties, you had a generation of people that had gone overseas and fought a war that they thought to end all wars. Civilization almost ended, um, and then throughout the fifties, we forget that they lived under the veil of expected global nuclear annihilation from the United States and the Russians. Yeah, the so reality, I don't think too many kind people of had, f- Everybody kind of had that, that, uh, that little bit of bliss by necessity because you needed 
to make the most of the time that you had, both because of your PTSD from being over in the war and because of the fact you don't know if tomorrow's coming. So I'm going to be neighborly and I'm going to, you know, try to do my best with my, yeah. and they, they also grew up in the great depression. So great um, depression was the thirties. I'm talking more about the, the baby boomers who were born in. Yeah. Like, the baby boomers had, they grew up in a, um, born a, in the late forties, early fifties. You know what I mean? Right. You'd like to be a baby boomer is what you're saying. Yeah. Like you're a kid in the fifties and then, yeah, I, don't, I didn't want to, the thirties were brutal. World War Two was scary, but the 50s were a simpler time. That was even before the whole Cold War. The Cold War was more towards, you know, the 60s when the, the wall went up and... It's, it's, it happened. It started right after World War Two. Yeah. But um, that, that paranoia, um, we it's easy to, to forget, like when we were talking about uh, the marriage thing at the beginning of the, the session how we forget about the domestic abuse and the alcoholism and the sexism and all that. Oh kind yeah. Of there was, too. there was that too. There were those cases. I just, and, but now today, like I said, it's, it's just gone the complete opposite. Right. Like I, I broke up with uh, the mother of my son over ridiculous. Nothing. I don't like the way you spoke to me. Okay. Like we're in an argument. You want me to, you know, we're in an argument. I didn't like, this is even without swearing. This was like, your tone is condescending. I, I, I'm, I can't deal with this. What? Gone. Yeah. Like what? No, it wasn't that it was gotten. She didn't leave like after a conversation like that. But there was always that threat. Like, oh, like, what's going on? Like, the, what? What are we dating? Like, what, mm. like we've got a kid together. I thought we were gonna, yeah. you know, do something. I've, so I felt a bit of that too. Like I've never been married or. I haven't yet had that kind of relationship where you share a child and that probably makes everything more intense, but I've definitely had circumstances where one of my good friends, they fuck you over sometimes. Like somebody has a fit, somebody goes crazy, somebody steals money, somebody does this, somebody does that. And you cut the beef and you move on and you, you assess, you're like, okay, this person fucked me over and I was mad at them for a while. But also we got a history together and there's a an expectation that like I value the the time that I've spent with people like I value my time with you if we ever have a fight I would hope to resolve it as quickly as possible because that's inappropriate that we would become estranged after 20 years or whatever like what could possibly be a, a, a incentive for that yeah you know or you know your parents I remember like on the weekend I went and visited my dad and him and my my sister had had a fight, and apparently they're not speaking. And I was like to my dad, I was like, "You are not allowed to become estranged from anybody else. Like you don't talk to your brother, you don't talk to your sister. Um, you got you have to to whatever the beef is in these circumstances. You got to step back and say like, okay, we agree to disagree. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, these deal breakers I don't get. Like people who were married for 10 years you loved that person and then something happened and now you want to kill them now that now you're trying to take all their money from from in courts and yeah to rob them like that kind of 180 switch is is really i've never understood that in people yeah so i i, th I think like you know going back to the the whole point of how this started was i think the 50s were a great time like there was a little bit of a balance 
uh, like marriage wasn't so taboo at that point. Um, I think some people were staying in marriages they shouldn't have, but I think that still happens today. And I think everything was just taken a bit seriously. And I think the world moved at 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 less of a scary pace. Like you're, you're talking about the, the Cold War. I think we're having a worry now if, if random people are going to walk into square one and bomb us, like, mm. you know, on the orders of ISIS. Like you don't even know what's coming now. Before it was... All right, Russia, they're a bit of a threat. America, okay, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you don't even know what the fuck's happening. Like those people in, in the, the French newspaper, they didn't even know what the fuck was coming to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, holy shit. It's just gone to a whole different level. And, and the, the people you wouldn't expect can just turn Snap. like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think everything's becoming scary these days. But... uh I still don't want to die. <laughs> and the only thing that is hopeful about the future is that uh, they've got the 2045 initiative where you can uh, upload yourself into a computer and uh, you become... Do you know what the the 2045 initiative is? I'm glad you're about? bringing this up because I, I, I need an update on the life extension technology because I know you're a big proponent you were almost like the head of a, a cryo-freezing company or something. Like I, apply, I applied to be the CEO. <laughs> so, the oh, I'm, I'm like so obsessed with anti-aging. And then it, so it started with the, the Life Extension Foundation. They're based in Florida and they specialize in supplements and nutritional stuff. And the more and more you, you study them, you're like, ah, you know, you don't know how pure their motives are. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they might be taking advantage of people to sell them supplements that they know don't work. Like, uh, and I won't placebo. Like, yeah, I, I don't even. I don't know. It, it's just something. It's like, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get a great vibe. And then there's the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, mm-hmm. and that's the one that I used to be into. They cryonically freeze your body, mm-hmm. and then they try and bring you back to life when technology exists to a cure your disease whether it's aging or cancer and b you know unthaw your body coming off of our our previous conversation it would be hilarious if you got unfrozen into a future where everybody's fucking cyborgs and all of the trends that you're paranoid about now have been intensified and you're immediately like i'm fucking out of here yeah (laughs) where's the suicide (laughs) machine put me into that one yeah but i i just saw that the technology is just so far off like the technology to to be able to unfreeze someone cure their disease it's just i don't know right now they they're at the stage where they try and do something called vitrification Hmm. where it's a chemical freezing so you don't form ice crystals so all those people who got frozen before we know they're fucked over (laughs) because their cells have been destroyed by ice crystals right vitrification now they don't have the technology to freeze your whole body so they have to cut off your head so somehow they need to figure out a way to give you a new body so it's just a mess and then i learned about the 2045 initiative and it's headed by some russian millionaire and the, the science of it is backed by ray kurzweil yeah the uh the head poster of poster boy life extension yeah and he's like google's head engineer or something mm-hmm and basically, he's saying that computers now can mimic your personality. Like, everything about you can be mimicked. And they can... He basically says that your 
your mind is just a sequence of chemical reactions that true that the and chemical and electrical reactions mm-hmm. that computers will have the technology to replicate right so essentially you can upload yourself into a computer and the ultimate goal of the 2045 initiative is that you kind of exist in a computer, your mind, but you're projected in the world almost as a hologram. <laughs> the Michael Jackson effect? Yeah. But <laughs> it's almost like the Matrix where you perceive everything as real. So it's just as real as it was when you were a human. Yeah. Like if somebody, for example, has a, an acid trip and they're seeing Smurfs, they can swear to God that those Smurfs are there. Right. They'll, you tell them, no, they're not there. Yeah, man, I fucking see the Smurf, man. Like, my hand is melting. My fucking hand is... You can tell them, no, I swear it's not melting. But their perception is their reality. There's a, a wire crossed. You know, and, and if I look at the cup in front of me that's, I don't know, orange orange or red or whatever, that's simply a perception. It's light reflecting off a molecule that's giving my eye the perception that it's, that it's red. But right. some other people, if they're colorblind, they say... No, that's green or whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're basically saying that you can be mimicked by a computer existing as a hologram that you perceive to be the real you. And because your perception is there, it is complete reality. And now humans can roam without actually littering, without consuming resources to Mm. eat because you don't need to eat anymore without causing war because you're a hologram you can't actually destroy somebody else right you can't kill you you want to imagine killing them well you can think you you just killed somebody but you didn't really do it it's a it's an interesting idea because you can almost imagine a server farm utopia where aliens visit earth a million years from now and all there is is black boxes that have consciousness in them and it's just humans fucking around in grand theft auto (laughs) having grand theft auto lives yeah but you, each human, I guess, I, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. Like, each human must be perceiving their own reality, but can also interact with the other people. And he's saying, like, if you lived a thousand years, wouldn't you get bored? But he's saying, because these computers keep getting more powerful, you can create different scenarios. Right. I travel the world, but now I want to travel the moon and mm-hmm. i want to live life as this job there's this a profession. stoner idea that that's already happened and the the consequence of that um unlimited choice thing is that you end up with these consciousnesses that choose to remake the world exactly how it was where you know cyberspace jesse decides oh i want to take uh my new reboot cycle i'm going to be born to a family in idaho and then we're going to move to Hamilton and he's going to try to be a starving artist for a while. And then he's going to start a podcast and, and all of that. Yeah. Right. And because you see it in like the Sims, right. Given the opportunity for people to live in a digital world, a lot of them choose to just like have barbecues and hang out in their hot tub and stuff. The way that things that they can actually do in, in this world. Yeah. So, so I think that's still cool. Like if you want to live a simple life, you can live a simple life. Like I look at myself now and people are like, oh, embrace it. Like embrace getting old. I'm like, no, like I can jump as high as I want. I can lift tons of weight. I feel smart. I feel alive. I can go jump with my kid. I have great sex. 
I don't want to fucking get old. Start pissing myself. Mm-hmm. My memory goes. It's not a pretty sight for most people. It's not like somebody just gets old and they're having the time of their lives and one day they don't wake up. Like yeah. Most people are getting pretty fucked up. And it seems like we're old for so much longer than we're young. You know, that, that, that period between 40 and 100 is like you're over the hill for for uh you know 60 years versus like being young for 25 years or whatever 27 you've already you're already too old to go to the olympics you know what i mean yeah kind of cut off line yeah so i i just love the idea of of being able to live forever and and imagine yourself young all the time and have vibrance like i'm looking at my girlfriend now i'm like holy shit this is the most beautiful girl in the world Mm -hmm. and if we're being completely honest when she's 70, she's not going to be beautiful. Like, she'll have a beautiful mind, and yeah, I'm still going to love her. you'll be an her. old mummy. Yeah. Your but balls shit. will be in the toilet. My, my grandma, before she died, she's like, getting old is terrible. She's like, let me tell you, I used to have beautiful breasts, and now they look like deflated condoms. He's yeah. Like, and it's no better for men. He's like, your granddad, his balls go in the toilet water when he shits. He shits all over his balls, and i got to clean his balls up. Yeah. She was she was giving me the straight goods. Yeah, so so She's for like, your have a good time, enjoy your youth because this is a tomb. <laughs> yeah, you can travel <laughs> anywhere. Television. People when they're old, they start becoming isolated, they can't travel. Like I want to go to Iceland and I want to fucking ride a bike. Yeah. You know? You can do that when you're you can go to Iceland when you're old, but then you you know, oh, I'm riding a bike and I'm fucking tired like so f- for 300 listeners out there. Yeah. Just think about this. If you can if you can capture your youth and you perceive it to be as real to you mm-hmm. as this life is now, wouldn't you take it? Like people are so they can't get over the concept, but when you think cyborgs are creepy, yeah. guess what? We're becoming cyborgs. Right. So when you think, Oh, I don't want to live forever, imagine you have the infinite power to live the life you want and you've got forever the energy to live as a young person and you never have to worry about getting cancer because you're old because your cells fuck up or getting alzheimer's and forgetting what your grandkids look like and people are like well i don't want to outlive my grandkids well if your grandkids have this technology too they can none of you will ever die Mm -hmm. and the world won't become overpopulated because you don't actually take up the resources i think i think uh, i'm open-minded to your scenario and i think that that's a nice um a nice thought but I, I think that it's way too close to the classic human um, idea that there will a, a Jesus will come back or Zeus will lift the veil or will enter into a what the Native Americans would call like the afterlife where the spirit world there this is the this is the classic like human need or desire to like transcend. And hopefully this life is going to keep going on. Um, and I feel like we've just replaced the old spiritual tropes with technology. And so I'm, I guess I'm. Um, well, let me explain how real this could be. Because right. the, the, the 2045 initiative is four stages. Mm-hmm. And first it was having a robot by the year 2015. They're having a robot that can mimic a human by just thinking right the human thinks and the robot does that's phase one they did that last year in new york city at a conference where the human 
was sitting there and doing whatever and the robot was mimicking him and the robot looked exactly like the human in their gesture and the way that they were moving and yeah everything mm -hmm. just through the mind mm -hmm. they're saying now that they've got the technology this has been done i guess before that someone can think over a computer with with probes hooked up to their mind they right. can comp control someone else's arm through the computer have you heard of that no Oh, you got to look this up because they've actually shown it being done. Mm -hmm. Like, that's whacked out stuff. That's phase one. Phase two is um, actually taking a brain and implanting it into, uh, like, an avatar-type being. So mm -hmm. that, you know, being able to hook up all the neural pathways and you are essentially a cyborg. But So the limitation is that they've got to keep your brain alive. Right, but in most cases, for a lot of people, unless you have Alzheimer's, your your body dies before your brain does. And you would make that connection to technology, the lifeline. So, any kind of power outage, any kind of major uh, electrical failure, like you were describing in two thousand three, it's like goodbye, brain. Yeah, you're, but you're tethered to the technology. 100%. Yeah. Well, I think I think at some point will we will have the technology to to keep these uh, servers going mm -hmm. no, no matter what, whether it's solar or you know like Google for example. I was asking like, what if somebody bombs the Google servers? We're fucked. Oh but, no! But Google has yeah, yeah, Google has servers here, and then they have secret locations here. And Royal Bank, for example, apparently has some location for one of the backup servers that's like deep in the ground, center of the earth. I'm like holy shit! They have Google has barges that are just out in open ocean in the international waters, just like floating around, and they have plans to put one on the moon. Yeah, which would be rad. Yeah, so if you bomb one, okay, we just have backup two there, and oh, you found that one. Well, we've got backup three here, and it's mm -hmm. like you can't get to them all. And Google's stuff. sending you emails each time. It's like, why are you bombing our servers? Stop <laughs> it, please. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm way into the, the whole anti-aging thing, and I think the way the science explains it is a hell of a lot more realistic than believing in Jesus who's going to come back. Mm -hmm. like, I think that's such a... Well, they had a, a, a very intense spiritual connection back in the day, right? So it, it seemed people were more superstitious. They, they, they saw evidence of that spiritual life everywhere they looked because it was a deep part of their culture. Yeah, And now I think that we see evidence of a kind of cyber reality everywhere we look because it's a deep part of our culture and we, we scale up. Oh, I've, I've got this connection to my phone. I look at it every 30 seconds. I can scale that up and say like, I can imagine in 10 years from now, the phone will be embedded in my brain and I'll get the emails directly. But what I think happens with these big systems where you're dealing with like the humanities and people is we're inherently unpredictable in that um, you might find that people just reach a, a tipping point where they decide okay we're gonna scale back on this technology a bit and we're going to like make an effort to like move to a farm and you've got your internet connection and you use it for business and things but it's something that you limit to an hour a day and it's it's for just the necessities um i was gonna say like i think as a concerned person and as a person who has influence over your community i think that you're probably not alone when you have these anxieties where you see people being way too tethered. And one thing I think we can do to empower ourselves is like take it upon ourselves to offer an alternative, right? So one thing that's interesting is like something like this, right? Um, through the mechanism of a podcast, 
you and I can sit and have a three hour conversation that's way more intense and human than we normally would without this, this pretense that we're going to record something. The, the technology is encouraging us to be more human in, in this particular circumstance, right? Versus like the last time we hang out, we, we went for frozen yogurt and we kind of bummed around the street. I don't think that the conversation was as intense as it is right now because the, the technology is encouraging us to, to, to share what's going on in our brains, what we care about, what we're fearing and all of that kind of stuff. I, I thought we had a good conversation. Uh, yeah. We differ. Our opinions are always, it's, it's incredible how, how we've stayed friends and close friends. Like I consider you probably one of my best friends and our opinions are so fucking different. It goes back to that, that thing that we, you were saying, we both value relationships. Yeah. And so we try to make it work. Yeah, but there's it, a lot it, of things that I don't understand about you. There's a lot of things you don't understand about me, and oh yeah. that's fine. Because even even, even down to that, I have a, a disagree. I thought we had great conversation. You were talking about tribes, and Jessica was talking about how I can broadcast myself on YouTube. And mm-hmm. Bill, I, I I thought it was awesome hanging out, eating, like you know, the intense conversation is kind of cool. But I think we've had intense conversation. We've even got into pretty heated debates. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the difference is that I think that right now we're talking about things that are a little bit more personal, whereas when it comes to business stuff, you know, I, I've had that conversation with a lot of different people. That's kind of just wonky internet stuff. Fuck so. you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was special. Fuck you. <laughs> but like going, you know, talking specifically about your particular business right? The fitness community. This is something that is not going to be easily replicated by machines or by the internet, right? There's something that's way more useful about getting together with another person at a gym and, and working out and then having the scrutiny and the motivation that comes from knowing that you're going to be on the fucking stage and there's going to be a thousand people that are all assessing your progress in four months. So you better take this seriously. You better work out hard. Versus like watching YouTube videos where somebody, you know, Keith Weber is swinging a kettlebell around and you're just helpless, like that 80s thing where everybody was doing fucking aerobics in front of their TV. It's like, oh, oh my heart rate's really going now. Oh, I'm going to do my thigh master for, for five minutes and that'll be my workout for the day. Your, your um, system is like way more real and effective than that kind of like half-assed thing that digital stuff allows people to do digital stuff allows people to be half-assed at a lot of a lot of stuff yeah yeah no absolutely huh half-assed archery it's like yeah i've been taking up archery i've been i've been learning on youtube it's like oh yeah is anybody assessing your form or trying to keep you honest no no i don't need any of that fuck (sighs) what the hell are we drinking here anyways it is a canadian club small batch canadian whiskey uh, aged 12 years. This idea grave is fueled by Canadian Club small, small batch whiskey that Sean is only tasting now. You've managed to get through uh, an hour and a half of conversation without touching the raw almonds that I provided. No, I had you. them, and oh. then I felt like they were too crunchy. I'm like, if you're going to do a podcast, I'm not going to crunch in the microphone. No, that's, I had That's like a big part of my thing. That's, that's a big part of my brand, is the, is the chewing into the microphone. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. But I, I barely ever drink, and I just took two small sips, and I actually feel this. Like, that's fucking retarded. That's what's great about whiskey. 
I think it's the fact that I'm a fucking lightweight as well. <laughs> Holy shit, like I'm 225 pounds and I just took two sips of this and... Yeah, in general, I find the same effect, though. It's like the first sip you feel the most, and then you get used to it. Your body's like, whoa, what's this fire water? <laughs> You've been- yeah. What's burning your freaking trachea? <laughs> yeah, well, it's decent. So do you find um, you're using... You are on Facebook quite a lot for um, your UFE stuff. Um, is it common for people that are part of your organization and stuff to send you emails and more direct kinds of conversation or is it kind of limited to like the basic facebook posts and and stuff like that like how tight is your relationship with the the competitors and people who are in your elite team and and stuff hmm yeah you know what i've i've tried to make our facebook presence a lot more personal Mm -hmm. um because I think that's how that's how brands succeed. That's what what builds up loyalty is is when you're personal with everybody and and you talk to them and they feel real connection to you. Mm-hmm. I feel we've so far failed a little bit in that. Like I do get I I get some messages from people, but they're mostly informative. I find that a lot of our messaging through our pages is push advertising. Right. Um. And I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, change that. I want to interact with people, so I'm trying to build more of a community. So, you know, and I'm I'm trying to do that in different ways. So we actually just sent out a survey about one of our events, mm-hmm. and we got great feedback. It was UFE Rampage in Columbus. Everybody loved the venue. Uh, you know, everybody thought the staff was friendly, but somebody had a suggestion saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I compete there. Uh, we, we do a 10 a.m. show. We finish at noon. And we're just sitting around for six hours. Like, can you guys not, uh, can you guys not, you know, make the shows a little bit closer together? You're prejudging in finals. Right. So now on the community, I've said, hey, guys, like, if you didn't get that survey, please make sure you fill it out. Check your junk mail if you didn't get it. And I want to say that, like, we're really listening to you. Mm-hmm. And here's a suggestion that came up from uh, Ginny Yost, for example. And she says we should bring the shows closer together. And guess what? We're doing it on her suggestion. Nice. And we're doing it starting with this. So some people are finally going, yeah, I was thinking that too. Mm-hmm. Well, speak why up. didn't you say that? Yeah. We want you to speak. Like, we, we want to be, I want to be the number one natural fitness organization. Mm-hmm. Period. I want to kick everyone else's ass and I want the I want to be known as the best of the best and I want to be the biggest natural fitness organization out there. Right. And to do that, we need everybody's feedback and I want people to know that I don't want to just do that and say I want to make a whole shitload of money and blah 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 blah. I want to get to number 1 because we excel in customer service. We're treating you not as family. Yeah, we're treating you as customers and family we're not saying hey pay your money and do a show and get the fuck out of here we want you to be part of a community and we want you to pull other people into the community and we're listening to you you're part of the community and we're part of the community and we're the leaders of the community but like in politics we need to take feedback from our constituents which is you guys and we're always willing to do that and we're not totalitarians were you know we lead a democracy yeah 
you know, and we want a group and we want you all to feel empowered and we want to give you the best experience so that you pull other people into the organization. In general, do you find that um, the day of the show, the pre-show and the after show, do you spend, do you get an opportunity to spend a lot of time just like chatting with the people who have competed for the first time or whatever? Or are you so busy with like the logistics of it that that becomes like impossible? I used to be so busy with logistics and somebody suggested to me that, for example, at the athlete meeting, I do need to speak. Mm -hmm. I need to tell them what my vision is for UFE, why they're competing with UFE, why, what our value proposition is in the industry. And why you're proud of everybody for making, uh, making it out. And I'm proud of all of them for, you know, competing naturally. Mm -hmm. That's, that's our niche is competing naturally. Like, you know what? The honest to God truth is I can stick a needle in my ass and I can get to 260 pounds and make some of these IFBB pros look stupid. And, and I'll say that and some might disagree, but I even remember taking a supplement that was legal. It's not anymore. It's called Androstein. Mm. And when I took that, I went from 220 to 250 and I was just throwing up 150 pound weights. That's not like an IFBB person who's using six, seven different types of steroids at once. Is are steroids like horse hormones, or, or am I completely off? A lot of people think of it like that. No, not really. Um, horses do take steroids at some point. Mm-hmm. It's illegal to. Um, Clenbuterol right. is a big thing that bodybuilders and fitness competitors take when they're not tested. Um, that's a horse bronchodilator, extremely dangerous in humans, but it, mm. it burns fat at an incredible rate. And you get those big hose veins and stuff from it. You just like so lean. Well, they're so lean. The the hose veins and stuff is from a drug called Trenbolone, uh, which is a steroid. Um, but yeah, so when I when I when I talk to these competitors and saying I'm proud of them, it's I'm proud that you're representing natural athletes and you're inspiring real people because. Real people don't look at these IFBB pro bodybuilders and go, wow, I want to look at that. They go, wow, that's a fucking freak show. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. holy fuck. Like they're entertained by it, but they're entertained in the same way that a court jester is entertaining the king. They're fucking freak shows. Yeah. You know, so I'm proud of these people for staying natural and being real about it and not throwing down their health just to do a fucking fitness show. You know, and the the aesthetic of the the person at the competition is not for everybody. Like some people find the the tanning uh, gel strange, and the 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 large heels and the guys in the bikini briefs um, unusual. But the 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 reality behind it is that they don't look like that all the time. Like they get an awesome shape to do this ritual where they show off how great their bodies look, and then they go back to their regular life. And then that person that has gone to that level and gotten to that level of fitness when they're walking around just in their regular clothes at their regular non-competition weight, they look way hotter. They have more energy. They have more um, focus and ability to do the stuff that they want to do because they've gotten to the habit of reaching a goal, I think. Yeah. When you've, when you've gotten to the habit of going to the gym and dieting and having that restraint, it, it applies... It helps you do everything better after that because you're building up that restraint to be able to to make choices and, and go in a direction. Yeah, and I think that's what I, I appreciate about the the natural athletes too is that they don't go to such extremes. They get ready for a show, they peak, 
you know, and they do look different in their off season, but it's not such a wacky extreme, mm-hmm. like you know, um, yeah, and they 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 they're they're real. Um, the tanning stuff is just to absorb the lights. That's not how they like to go around looking in everyday life. That's just to, you know, absorb lights and show off their muscle because that's what this is all about. But it's for one day. These are just real people who take their fitness to an extreme and they do look damn good and they are damn fit and they can do stuff that most people can't do. Um, and I think it is a fantastic goal and they do like to hold themselves accountable. And the great thing about natural competitors is most of them don't take it to an unhealthy extreme. Right. Like when someone puts a needle in their ass just to be huge, that's taking it to an unhealthy extreme. Why do you need to do that? Your body's not meant to get that big. Why are you lifting such heavy weights that it can tear your muscles from the bone? That's mm. not healthy. You're not fit. You're not flexible. You're not. You're you're taking this to an unhealthy extreme. So with the the natural fitness competitors, I think it's it's. Uh, you know, they're pushing their bodies as far as they can naturally push them. And that's at a, uh, that's at a, a very high end and perhaps slightly extreme, but it's not an unhealthy extreme. Mm-hmm. Just like somebody who pushes themselves to sprint uh, uh, 9.6900 <laughs> meters. You can't do that every time or your, your muscles would rip off the bones. Yeah. But you peak yourself for that. I remember um, we had a, a talk about, I think it was Donovan Bailey or something like that, where you were adamant about how once you cross this this threshold of like 9.8 <laughs> seconds, they're all on drugs. It's I think like, they are all on drugs. To there's be no way that a human being can run that fast without being augmented. Yeah. I, I think it's to a much less degree, like bodybuilders just pump in all kinds of shit. Like, uh, you know, I know some of the common drugs that an Olympic athlete would use to be stronger and faster. <coughs> so there's two things. One is it's not as extremely unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And B, these people are making millions of dollars and winning Olympic titles mm-hmm. out of cheating. Not a fucking local bodybuilding show, you know what I mean? Yeah. So... That's the difference. <coughs> See what the fucking almonds do. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, you know, that's the that's the difference. Donovan Bailey made millions out of being the fastest man of the in the world. Wheaties box, whole deal. Bruce Jenner, you know. Keep riffing. I'm gonna get you some more water. <coughs> well, I'm gonna drink the. Uh, I'm gonna drink the whiskey. Burn out the almond bits in my throat. Thanks, Bob. What's your whistle? <coughs> One of the um, the insights that I found really interesting when you first started holding these shows was uh, I remember you did a, a fitness uh, show around the same time as your birthday. Like we both had birthdays in December, and um, at your birthday party in downtown Hamilton, there was a lot of um, <coughs> friends that you know from the business, right? Former competitors and other people that like help you with the shows and stuff. Yeah. And um, I remember getting a, the vibe from the community that it was a, a, a highly like amorous 
kind of uh, community. Everybody seemed to be like fit and they were charismatic regardless of their age. And they seemed to like, be interested in partying and stuff. And I was talking to you about like what the atmosphere is like post-show. Everybody's done. They've finished all of their sacrifices and their dieting and they can just let loose. And you were describing to me like these 40-year-old women, right? For the first time, they've got this amazing body that they d- never had, right? Their whole life, this is the best shape that they've ever been in. And they're just looking to like let loose and enjoy themselves afterwards. And everybody wants to have sex and everybody wants to uh, to take advantage of the fact that they're at their like peak kind of physical condition. And to me, that's what's what's like so attractive about the the process of like human fitness. It's I think that we've really lost touch of that ancient Greek celebration. There used to be um, gods that uh, they would look to uh, as inspiration for different things. There was a god of beauty, a god of hunting, a god of wisdom, a god of love, and the. Uh, the the ideal back in Greek times was to try to be as close to that standard as you can be. And it seems like nowadays the, the culture has gotten like so nerfed and anesthetized that we seem to bend over backwards trying to like <clears throat> make life as simple as possible, make life as easy as possible. Don't hurt anybody's feelings. Don't have to be in a situation where you're working too hard. Don't have to be in a situation where you have to be vulnerable and might get like scared or, you know, all of these, these kinds of barriers that we're putting up to try to make the world like have no risk. Yeah. And I think that that small anecdote about an older, older lady, like achieving a goal like that and celebrating it. I think it's something that even if you're not interested in personal fitness, it's something that I think is inspiring. Yeah. The idea that, a person achieving their personal best is a worthy goal. You don't have to worry about like eliminating everything from your life that you can't be the best in the world at. You know, there are some things that it's 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 a worthy goal to just like run five kilometers every day just Absolutely. because of your own for personal like betterment. Yeah. That's why I think like the tough mutter things are becoming super huge. Like people just feel like holy shit, like I just accomplished this goal of climbing this wall and jumping into this ice water. And like, this is stuff that only kids can do. And I feel alive and, and, you know, people running the 5k. And I think these fitness shows are, are simply, uh, the way I like to look at it is it's another outlet for human achievement. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's a fantastic point. Like pushing yourself hard, setting a goal making sacrifices, proving you can do it. And then, you know, it's not about, uh, you know, some people can do it to try and win, but a lot of it is about, you know, just being the best person you can be. And, and, you know, you don't have to just do that by physically when you, when you do these competitions, you're proving that you can be the most disciplined you and the hardest working you and the you that overcomes challenge. And finally, when you get to the stage, then the best physical you. You can imagine um, being born with a twin. You know, there is lots of different ways your life can can go. And to me, what is a fantastic motivator is the idea that, like, we all start off with a different set of circumstances and different set of genes that we're born with. But what are you going to do with 
the limited time that you have and the limited resources that you have. Are you going to be the best possible version of Sean Everingham? Are you going to be succumb to um, your weaknesses and become, you know, the worst possible version of yourself? Are you going to succumb to the parts of, of, am I going to succumb to the parts of my personality that are ego driven and nasty and, um, reflective in um, things that I've inherited from my father that I don't like? Am I going to, or am I going to shift it and turn the page and try to become the very best possible version of, of Jesse that I can? Um, I think that that's, that's something that people aren't spending enough time reflecting on. It's, it's something that like, because of the way that our economy is set up and the, because of the way of, uh, that our um, digital world is set up, it's so easy to to get caught up in like constantly focusing on what other people are doing and having that be a, a measuring stick for where you're at, you know? And I think that um, becoming an amateur athlete um, has a lot of power when it's applied to that idea of becoming the best possible version of yourself. I think it's it's a what's corrosive is if somebody looks on the internet and they see daunting like human achievement and they say like, well, I'll never be able to run the two minute mile. So I'm just not going to be a runner. I'm going to focus on being, you know, Dan, the accountant, Dan, the accountant just like is good at sitting in his chair and, and punching numbers. And he's efficient at that. And yeah, so limited. Yeah. And that's the, that's what I think. Um, that's a, that's a fantastic point. I think that's why, that's why I'm proud of UFE too, because I think that brings, I think it brings that attitude to fitness mm-hmm. that you can do this. You can come out of your comfort zone and you don't have to be the best at it. This is just a personal challenge. That's why the Tough Mudder is so huge too. Like they don't even, they don't even time you. Mm-hmm. They don't place you. There's no winner. Mm-hmm. It's just do the challenge. Just take yourself out of the comfort zone. And finally people go, oh, okay. And that's what we try and offer with UFE. Like you can get to the really competitive level if you want. But there's a lot of shows, m- most of our shows, where you just do this as a challenge. Just take yourself out of the comfort zone. You don't have to be the best at it. Just do this to, to challenge you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the difference we offer over the IFBB, which is a very aggressive competitor in the industry and trying to freaking eliminate organizations like mine. And we're not trying to be the IFBB. We're trying to A, do stuff naturally, not enhanced. And B, our main appeal we want to be for people that just want to do this to take themselves out of that comfort zone. Yeah, you want to be Dan the accountant, be Dan the accountant, but you know, maybe once once a year, once every 2 years, take yourself out of that comfort zone and and try something cool and different and get a rush out of it, you know? And you don't nobody's going to look at you and go, "Wow, that guy's not the best and he sucks." It's like all these people on stage, wow, like they've 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 accomplished something and we want to celebrate those accomplishments, you know? And the, the, the funny ironic thing is that uh, I think for, in my own life, I've found that a level of like personal fitness helps everything. It helps you um, be able to do a desk job better. It helps you be able to have the energy level to try new stuff in the morning and not be like, 
a, just a saggy caffeinated uh, factory worker you know there's there's like all sorts of tertiary benefits your hard-ons are, are stronger you've got uh the motivation to to go out and have hobbies like there's also there's an incredibly different energy level that i have when i've been exercising versus when i haven't been exercising and it affects your mood too like i find that i can be more generous and patient with people and stuff if i know i've i've worked out that week Whereas I know when I haven't gotten enough physical exercise, I get very irritable and short with people and stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's kind of un, un uh, kind of releasing the the tensions, the tensions of life. It's like oh, like you push it out, like you you know, it's like a massage where the the massage therapist pushes into a muscle and it resists only for so long, and then it's like ah, oh, it releases. Yeah. So you build up all this tension in everyday life and you pump these weights and rah, and then the tension just kind of releases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I think the tie-in to what we were talking about with, um, you know, people's brains being uploaded into computers, the reality of it is in this middle stage, we are still people who are driving around a meat body and you're, you might have a beautiful mind but it is tethered to a physical body that was built to be on the savanna and like hunting elephants and stuff. Yeah. And if you throw that away and don't acknowledge it, you can, I think, end up with a lot of mental disorders. Like I think that there's a lot of problems with depression and um, sex drive and um, things that wouldn't normally happen if we were still taking care of our bodies. I feel like that is definitely alleviated by having a certain level of physical fitness your whole life. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that. Yeah, I think I think people who who keep fit it's it's just uh you see it in Hollywood, these people are obsessed with anti-aging and keeping fit. Yeah, you're always bringing up Stallone. Stallone is an example, Clint Eastwood is an example, Jennifer Aniston, Madonna, like Tom Cruise, like these are all people that you know, everybody says, oh, they get surgery. Well, it's not just surgery. Like, it's it's keeping fit. Mm -hmm. Like Putting good food you know, in your body. If you get surgery on your face, but you walk around like a decrepit old man, people can tell you're still old. Yeah. So they're they're focusing on their fitness. Tom Cruise, I, I, I think he's like over 50 now. He carries himself like a 30-year-old man. Mm-hmm. And, he, and in his movies, it looks like he can run really fast. And, you know, maybe he's not running super fast, but he's moving his limbs pretty damn fast on that camera. Yeah. You know, that's a result of him keeping in shape. You know, so, and, and Sylvester Stallone still being able to do these action movies and stuff. Like, six, 68 years old, <laughs> fucking guy. Maybe 69 this year. Yeah. He's born in 1946. Jesus. Maybe 69 years old. It's older guy's, than my dad. Yeah, guy's a fucking beast. Mm -hmm. And and whether people think he's got surgery on his face or not, he carries himself like a young man. He's not hobbled in his spine. I don't think he's had a facelift. He's got a, he's got a weird kind of face that's going on that looks like an older dude. He's, he kind of looks like he's wearing a. He kind of looks like he's a younger Sylvester Stallone wearing a Halloween mask of Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> he's kind of got like a rubbery Sylvester Stallone face. Yeah, um, I'd still rather look like that than a sixty-nine-year-old man. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I I wonder like how much of of what's going on has to do with 
the posture of a younger person. And what I mean by that is, like, everybody has met somebody in their life where they're 25, but they, if you were to, like, put them in a machine that could measure how old they are, genetically they must be 47, you know? They've taken up smoking, and they've gotten to the habit of just, like, slouching all the time, so they've got, like, problems with the discs in their back, and their muscles are atrophied from not using them, and they've just got, you know translucent skin where you can see like the purple veins through it you know you can see the death in them just yeah. look looking at them like a, a body that's dying from not from from atrophy basically yeah. and you compare that to somebody who makes an effort to behave like a younger person and just that posture of of your muscles not getting into the habit of of disintegrating because they don't think they're in use like i remember one of the the really insightful things that you told me was that we always have to think of our bodies as being incredible adaption machines. If you allow your body, if you send the signal to your body that your your leg and arm muscles are not needed, that your core muscles are not needed because you're just going to be propped up by plastic and metal chair while you poke at plastic keys on your keyboard, it'll accommodate that because your body wants to shift resources to the places that are calling for it. Um, and if the reverse is true too. Like if you go through the work of lifting heavy weights and stuff, your bone density will increase and you'll get stronger um, across the board. Like there is nobody who is goes to the effort of eating and exercising that doesn't see a change. Yeah. It will always happen. Yeah. It's, it is incredible what adoption machines our body, our bodies are like, it's incredible. Like some people, you know, you want to be a drug addict. Some people take drugs that would drop a lion, you know? And, and if a normal person took the drugs they did, they'd die. Heroin but, overdoses and stuff. But you, you know, you train your body to do something and it'll it'll do what you tell it to do. You know, it's 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 incredible. And you can use that for for bad or let it, you know, waste away. Or, yeah, you can you can make a difference in it and, and make it adapt for the better. You know, so... That's the great thing about the fitness shows too, is it just motivates people. Like it, it's almost like a, a a forced thing. I'm I'm setting a fucking goal, so I I better do this. Mm -hmm. I better do this, and it forces you into healthy habits, and you know, hopefully, your body adapts for the better. I've noticed too that um, the pain of it kind of goes away too. Like you'll never lose that little voice in the back of your head that wants to encourage you to be a lazy slob like that never goes away you always have the little voice in the back of your head that's like oh man i gotta go to the gym oh man i gotta run today um but one thing that i do think gets easier is the diet stuff yeah. because i found that like growing up as like a poor kid in hamilton and like being able to go to the store and just buy like shitloads of fucking sour kids and all sorts of sugar um you you have this like uh, this sweet tooth that like haunts you for a long time, but the the funny thing about it is like if you give up that junk for long enough, your body kind of like levels out, and then you start to get other weird cravings that you wouldn't expect. Like suddenly, you you know when your body is calling for spinach, it's like oh I really want some fucking baby spinach, and tear open that fucking canister and just eat the whole bloody pound of it. Um, yeah. I have my friend Dean, uh, he had like Greek parents, so he never had all of that, all of that synthetic candy when he was growing up. He has absolutely no interest in it. Like he tastes it and he like spits it out. He's like, oh, that's fucking painful to like have that intense 
yeah chemical taste i never get that thing you're talking about where it's like oh i just want to be fucking lazy like i'm actually so pumped for the summer i'm like i want to go on hikes i want to go for jogs i want to go swimming like i want to keep my body super fit Mm -hmm. i i do have a bit of an issue with with the diet like it's not like it's not like a lot of people have but if i could get jacked off eating pizza and dairy queen blizzards i would love that (laughs) but uh so i just don't even keep it around so i don't get to the point where i'm so tempted for it that i'll go out and buy it but yeah if if it's if it's around i i i do uh want that the diet's still the hardest part like i went for sushi last night and uh everything's fairly healthy i'm eating sashimi I'm eating fairly healthy rolls, so if, if you add up the rice that's on all the rolls, it's maybe half a cup, three quarters of a cup, so not mm. crazy amounts of carbs. And I'm like, fuck, you can, you can get the ice cream after this. I'm going to have the ice cream. You know, so. Can I have six bowls of the ice cream? Yeah, no, I, I, share, I, shared, one with, uh, I shared one with Anna at the time, but um, yeah, the diet's still, still kind of the hardest part for me, but I do get what you're saying, like, for example, after a show, I would eat crap for two days, but I'm like, fuck, like this feels like, this feels horrible. Like I can't wait to eat healthy again. Yeah. Or when I have a really bad cheat meal, I'm like, I want to eat healthy again. Like mm-hmm. I want vegetables to nourish me and stuff. So yeah, like if, if you do control the diet, it is definitely a lot more even keel, but I think that that's the hardest part. You're I, a big propo- proponent of the cheat days, it seems like. I love it. I, for, for all the people I train, I do cheat days too. Well, not cheat days, just cheat meals to keep mm-hmm. you sane. Yeah. Like I think if people diet too much, they'll go fucking insane. Mm-hmm. So you need like, you know, you might have, I've got the craving for pizza always. So I decide I'm going to have the pizza and I'm going to eat a lot of it. And then I, by the end, I'm like, oh, I was fucking sick of it. Oh, I'm full. Yeah. I, I want to go back to eating healthy again. So I actually used to have a whole cheat day and then I would go nuts and then I did my blood work with the doctor at 28 years old and he found that my liver enzymes were testing high. Hmm. I'm like, holy shit, like I'm beating the shit out of my liver when I give myself a whole cheat day. Right. Because you would get like the four patty Wendy's burgers and two of them and then like the fucking... Yeah, I find people that hold themselves down to discipline. It's almost like... uh, it's sometimes like when those people are super religious and they make their kids like, you go to church and don't do this and don't do that. And then the kid, the, the, kid re, the kid rebels. Uh-huh. So it's like sometimes when you're eating super healthy, you're like, oh, good, I get a cheat day. I'm going to fucking kill it. <laughs> and that's what I do. Um, and then I, I would eat so shit that my, yeah, my liver enzymes were testing high. And then, you know, I notice a lot of people that I would train, like when I give them a cheat day, they just go nuts. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, let's keep it to a cheat meal. It's whatever you can eat in one sitting. And I noticed that was enough to, you know, after a whole week of eating super clean, that was enough to kind of get, get your cravings out and recharge you at least for almost a full week again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, I remember hearing on uh, Joe Rogan's show, they were talking about cheat uh, days. And one of the nutritionists was actually saying that there's a, a tertiary, the secondary benefit of it was that, because your body has been getting the signal that you're going to be having uh, clean meals throughout the week, 
when this cheat meal comes along and it gets this huge influx of like calories and fat and stuff, it's less likely to absorb that stuff. It kind of just passes it all through you because it's not expecting it in like a funny way. I wonder if does Maybe. that like align with what you're thinking or my the way I look at it is especially if somebody's dieting mm-hmm. like the the metabolism like I said the body like we said the the body's an adaptive machine so if I'm eating clean and I want to lose a bit of weight and I eat 2000 calories which puts me in a bit of a deficit the body goes oh I'm not getting enough calories to maintain balance because the body just always wants to maintain balance right Oh, Sean is a 225 pound individual. I want to stay 225 pounds. That's what I am. So if I start dieting, I could diet for three days. And the minute I start going back to normal eating, the body just bounces back. So, but if you, if you diet over a week, you know, the body doesn't have enough calories to bounce to, to bounce back. It starts losing a bit of weight, but then it'll find another way to put the weight back on or stop you from losing weight. Right. And that's the metabolism slowing down. Oh, mm. you're only eating 2,000 calories? I'm going to adapt and I'm going to slow down my basal metabolic rate. So the rate at which the heart is going, the rate at everything, it, it tries to bring the body temperature down. The metabolism slows down and then... You know, you, you you start meeting this plateau right. where you're like, oh, shit, and I got to take my calories down again. The body goes, at first, it's shocked, mm-hmm. loses weight, and then adapts again. And before you know it, you're having to take your calories so damn low to make your body respond. But with these cheat meals, it's like, all right, I'm eating 2,000 calories, 2,000 calories. Body's like, oh, okay, I'm adapting to this. And then, boom, holy shit, you just took in 5,000 calories. I got to burn all this shit off. You must have took down a gazelle. Yeah. It's feast time. Yeah. So then the metabolism, though, is trying to, to, to burn that. It's uh, like, oh, I got to burn all this now. And then all of a sudden, 2,000 calories, but it's still stuck at 5,000 for a few days. And then it has to uh, figure out what you're doing smart. again. You know, so that's that's the whole principle of what a lot of fitness athletes do with uh, carb cycling. Right. But I think carb cycling is just so, so complex. Most people don't know how to do it. Um, every individual is different, so I don't I don't do to carb cycling. I do the kind of just the cheat meal, which is like a, a basic carb cycling. They're saying with um, Apple's watch and other smart watch wearable stuff, um, it's going to allow for a whole lot more measuring when it comes to stuff like diet and um, exercise and things like that. Um, basically, the principle of it is that um, it can monitor heart rate. You can set in place apps and things that offer prompts and stuff when you're supposed to eat, when how much, how many calories you should be having at that particular time, how long your sleep Fucking cycle robots. is. Like. Yeah, but it would make all of the processes that you're describing a lot more. Um, it would make people aware of a lot of that stuff yeah. that they would keep, currently have to keep on a little notepad that they can cheat a little bit more on. I think. Yeah, there's been programs like that for a while, like though, like as far as the food intake, anyways, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, my fitness pal and stuff, they do that. I don't know. That comes down to human discipline. Yeah, you can have a machine telling you to do something, but if you don't have the discipline, you're not going to do it. Swipe it away. Get out of here. Yeah, fuck off. I'm not going <laughs> to eat right now. Or oh, I'm only supposed to eat this many calories. Fuck off. You're like a little kid looking at it. I wonder what the what the the penalty is if I mm-hmm. tell you to fuck off. Apple Watch. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, th I think Apple is doing that for a whole different reason. I think they're really trying to get into the health industry, right? They're, they're, it's multi-billions of dollars. And I know Google, for example, they've got a division of Google. What's it called? That That's trying to figure out the cure for cancer using their algorithm technology. <laughs> Funny. They're use yeah, I forget what it's called, but Google owns it. Google oh. is so good at search, it can cure your cancer. They're, they really are both racing to to become the next healthcare providers. That's where that's where they're going. They want to be into banking and healthcare, two of the the richest industries out there. Yeah. So, uh, so that's uh, I think what. So Apple is just kind of aggregating data, data, mm. data, 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 and, and that's all they really care about. Like they're they're doing this stuff in the meantime to keep you motivated right so they can capture your data just right. keep wearing this fucking watch so we can take your data biorhythms and yeah your... and then we'll be the first to cure cancer and we're going to charge everybody shitloads of money and <laughs> blah 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 and... did you have any of your apple uh cancer treatment no i'm a google person i <laughs> wanted the google cancer cure it's it's very different yeah it's customizable <laughs> it's not limited to apple's type a ecosystem <laughs> yeah so no I, I see where they're going with that i wish i remembered google's uh company that they're working on but yeah it's it's just the direction they're going so i don't i, I think all this shit they're doing now with uh oh you should eat now and this is how many calories you should take is just kind of the the facade for the information they're really trying to collect and what their what their big picture actually is interesting yeah. Your your mention or uh, the the tie in between Apple and um, and healthcare reminded me of the section in Steve Jobs's book. I don't know if you ever you ever read that the the no. Isaacson uh, book. He's uh, he's dying of cancer and he's in the hospital and they're trying to hook up all sorts of like IVs and stuff to him and he's critiquing the fucking design of like the oxygen masks and stuff and he wants to be brought like a number of different models so he can pick the most aesthetically beautiful to like pump the oxygen into his body and all of the nervouses were driven like completely crazy by him and then uh, Jobs it was like a lifelong vegan and uh, so when it came time to try to fight the cancer through diet and through chemo and stuff he rejected all of that and said like he wanted to do an all carrot based diet yeah i thought was... i thought he went to like sweden and it was oranges he ate like super mega doses of vitamin, vitamin c, c or something and he did the natural path and they said they they i heard that they some of the American doctors were saying they could have cured him if he didn't go and do something yeah. stupid like well, that. Well, it was all pancreatic cancer is the worst. Yeah. Like it's got a very bad diagnosis. Yeah. But it just so happened that they caught it as like a little shadow after a routine exam. So under normal circumstances, he would have had no chance. But because they caught it early, they could have done surgery and extended his life to a great deal. But he was just completely adamant that he didn't want to be cut open and he wanted to try to do an alternative approach. Yeah. So. But now he dies a legend. So, <laughs> well, he would have died anyway. I don't think that like everybody goes into remission, right? Like you've, you've staved off the cancer for a while, Yeah, but there's genetic damage in there. That's going to add up eventually. I think. Yeah. 
but he he might have lived another 10 15 years and it, and it might have been enough for him to lose his legend status yeah so, he could have fucked up a number of things and so, become washed up so it's like uh you know uh elvis died a legend but it maybe if he lived till 80 people kind of just kind of fuck him. elvis yeah they forget him you know that fat bastard yeah, but he died soon enough that people didn't remember so much the fat out of shape, you know, fucking Elvis there was. So Steve Jobs went out as the legendary Steve Jobs that could do no wrong and Apple will never be the same without him, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And he's this god and guru, so. That's quite astute for somebody who hasn't read the book because there, by the time he was running the second act of Apple, people had started to figure out his act. Because as much as he was um, extremely talented at being an effective leader and picking a direction and go with it, um, he would drive all of his employees and his colleagues crazy because he would just take the 100 degree opposite uh, position on something that they had just talked about yesterday. And he'd appropriate other people's ideas. They'd go... You know, Steve, I'm really excited about this iPod ad. We really like the, the, the simple design of have the idea of doing like silhouettes and just having the earbuds be the focus in, in, in white. And he'd be like, it's crap. I hate it. And then the next day he would come in and say, like, I've got an idea. And he would show them their same work that they had presented to him. And he'd say, like, this is the way it should be done. And they would all have to just get used to the idea that he was this nut bar that would constantly change his mind. Yeah. Oh, I, once he did change his mind, the the thing that was effective about it is that he was the the biggest champion of that new thing. Once they picked a direction, he would tirade and knock over desks and call people motherfucker if they didn't accomplish the thing that they had decided to do. Yeah. So he didn't have kid gloves when it came to that kind of motivation, that kind of 80s dickhead motivation. Yeah. But, you know, just how he started Apple in, in the 80s and then, you know... Apple was this great thing, and then he got booted out. You know, so he came back, and I don't, I don't know under what circumstances he came back, but he came back and he elevated himself to legend status and didn't give himself yeah. a chance to screw up. So now Steve Jobs is the immortal Steve Jobs, live on forever. <laughs> but he doesn't get to know that he's lived on forever. That's he will the be the first sucks. person reanimated, Sean. That would be cool. Except he's dead. His mind is dead. Steve Jobs bought. They have enough keynote speeches that they can just make him like a, um, you know, when you go to see the, the presidents in, uh, in Walt Disney World and they read you the Gettysburg Address or like the fucking Constitution, he'll be a robot that just is able to introduce the iPhone over and over and over again. That'd be cool. <laughs> you know what? Speak going back to the anti-aging thing, there is something, uh, it's these guys out of MIT doing something called an Eterna Me project. Mm -hmm. And I think the website is like eterna.me. Yeah. And I think the theory is that Google has so much aggregated data about everyone. Yeah. So your Android phone, it knows your voice. It knows how you talk. It knows your tones. It knows how you speak to sense different people. Knows your sense of humor. Oh, Gmail, it knows what you type, your tone. Even if you don't use Gmail, well, you've sent to Gmail. So it knows your tone, the way you speak. 
YouTube. Oh, you want to record your... Well, Google owns that too. And it's got so much aggregated data about you. And now it's it's got the same shit that Apple's doing with the, you know, the Apple Watch. They're going to do the same thing, collect all your data. And this autonomy, basically, I actually signed up for it. Nice. I, I haven't heard anything back. But essentially, I think you can be brought back on the computer so you don't know in this in so in 2045 initiative you know you're back because right. it's you in this it's like a copy a copy of you so that if for example this project or if eternity existed five generations ago i could go you know what i just want to see what my great 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 grandfather was like boom 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 and I can talk to him. It knows right. what he looks like. Yeah. It knows how he speaks. Hey, fuck you, Grandpa. Oh, fuck <laughs> you. Bloody hell, fuck you, you fucking piece of shit. Knows exactly how he speaks, what, what words he uses, uh -huh. what nuances. I think, that, I think that is something that's very cool. Like, if this project... And the resolution of it would only get more and more accurate as they got better at being able to suck up that data and convert it into the digital yeah. portrait. Yeah. So even even if for some reason I can't live forever, mm -hmm. maybe in ten generations from now people can go. Oh, I want to know what my great 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 grandfather looked like, and maybe my you know my great 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 grandson goes fuck you. I want to and just wants to see my reaction as fun has fun with it, and I can give my exact reaction even yeah. though I don't know I you still like, exist. Goddamn cyborgs. <laughs> Fucking kids. And look at you. Look at that body. Look at that <laughs> bony v VC, that V chest. Yeah. Look at you, you weak, out of shape piece of shit. You're all weak. Bring more people in front of the screen so I can tell you all how fucking weak you are. You're all cyborgs. Look at you with your red eye. And or you get the opposite, where they all have like killer bodies, but it's all just genetic manipulation and stuff they don't even need to work out anymore. Yeah. They're just built like gorillas. Eating, exactly. Uh, eating fucking thistles. <laughs> I was even reading today on gene technology they have now. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in China where they now can manipulate embryos and remove genes. Whoa. Remove genes. Oh, you've got a cancer gene. We're going to remove that gene. Oh, you've got a baldness gene. We're going to remove that. How fucking awesome is that? And people are already decrying like eugenics. Eugenics. And oh, yeah. It's totally eugenics. So what? Well, I think that the downside is that, from my understanding of genes, they kind of work like colors in a paint box. So you can find a gene that's responsible for baldness, for instance, but it's only when it's in that particular placeholder on the DNA strand that it, 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 it produces that effect. There's other things that the gene does in that particular position that might control your eye color or your IQ or a number of other like kind of things. And so it's kind of not as easy as just like pulling out the Django block. It's going to affect other things in the person that might not be um, obvious yeah. right away. But, you know, the person turns 25 and then you realize, oh, they've got a weird genetic disease where their skin falls off their body and they become a mindless zombie attack machine. You know, I didn't see that one coming. Guess we should put the baldness back in. Maybe that wasn't so <laughs> fucking bad. At least he didn't kill his whole family. Yeah, no, that's that's one thing. I know, but eugenics back in the day, though, for example, was was simply, uh, oh, you're you're mentally handicapped. Well, we're going to neuter you so you can't have any more kids, or you know, or what people accuse the Nazis of doing, putting them in the gas showers there, and 
Oh, that steam isn't really just steam. <laughs> but this eugenics, nobody knows that there's been... Nobody's getting neutered or whatever. But yeah, your point to your point, I, I don't know about any of that. I, yeah. assume, I assume these researchers can kind of figure out Oh, it's what just, you're talking I think about. I think like the the handcuffs are just off in China. It's just it's like do whatever. It's just like we've got three billion people. It's like so, some of them will be duds. Whatever. <laughs> it's like they're probably just going to end up being robots in a in a in a Foxconn factory putting together iPhones anyway. Yeah. So we don't really need to worry about somebody not being as great an artist as they could have been because we pulled out one of their genes. Um, Gattaca is about that, right? Like, there's in Gattaca, Ethan Hawke's character is somebody who slipped through who was born illegally and doesn't have the genetic manipulation and he's he's trying to live an anonymous life and avoid screening so they don't catch him and find out that he's a, a defective human oh shit and he's got like a, a dream to become an astronaut but he knows that that's completely illegal because the astronauts have been specifically bred to be able to have like the genes capable of surviving on Mars or something in the most effective way and because he's limited in, in his genetic code, he's he's afforded never going to be afforded that opportunity to take that job. Um, and I think that that's 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 kind of the downside of it because like we don't really understand what makes somebody Einstein level intelligent, right? These are people who are born to regular families most of the time, and it's just this like quirk of of upbringing and in combination like that nature nurture balance that produces people who have an insight at a certain time. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a hard thing to mess around with. I think that when, when it, if I was at Google, the thing that I think should be the imperative um, goal is that we really got to do a better idea, a, a better job at resource management when it comes to the people that exist on the earth, because regardless of where you were born, if you're born in like sub-Saharan Africa and you're a subsistence farmer, you have the genetic potential to be a god. Like we are the most complicated, most interesting, um, most visionary species that's ever existed on the planet. And there's an abundance of us right now. And we waste three quarters of, of those resources. There's nothing more amazing and valuable than a human brain. And we throw them away all the time. You know, people are getting blown up by drone robots. People are just dying of starvation in countries that don't have proper irrigation and stuff. It's it's crazy, crazy the waste. Um, I feel like a lot of our intensity moving forward in the next hundred years should be about trying to take advantage of the fact that there is so many people now. Um, my brother was giving me the example of uh, ship breaking in India. He talks. He was talking about climate change and like the the daunting tasks that are ahead of us and he's like well the one thing that we do have going for us is there's more humans than there's ever been and he was like the if you have enough humans to throw at a problem we can solve anything that's that's just the basic rule and he was he was talking about how shipbreaking in in india you've got ships that are, are pulled in from north america to be recycled and enough uh, indian labor with fucking hammers can take an, apart an entire ship just with hammers and blowtorches, strip it down to the, to the, the ground and recycle all of the stuff. It's like, it's just humans are the most remarkable animals to ever exist. And 
it's it's the one upside to everything that's happening now and all the challenges the world faces is we got enough people to, to sort it out if we can get everybody engaged and involved in the economy it's just we have a lot of people on the bench right now that are not even contributing anything how many times has like somebody of einstein level intelligence just died because they were a, a subsistence farmer in africa that never learned to count never learned to, to do anything crazy yeah it's an interesting observation well, the, uh, technology is kind of trying to solve that. Like mm. I know Facebook has some initiative to to connect everybody to the world. Like they're going to fly like these, I think it's like drones, fly drones, which, which have internet Solar panels, and well, internet. internet connectivity mm-hmm. and people are going to be able to have basic. So they don't, you know, they don't get a lot of data or they can't afford data. So there's going to be very basic internet put on their on their phones you know low low generation phones but they'll at least have some technology and what about all, some of those drones for cottage country god damn it <laughs> i don't want drones in cottage country <laughs> there needs to be a place where we can fucking escape no no yeah well, total immersion sean enjoy your, <laughs> in, uh, enjoy the cyborg world the cyborg future that you helped bring about <laughs> through yeah. your advocacy I, my only advocacy is that I want to be fucking uploaded so I don't need to worry about dying. Like, that's yeah. one thing that just scares the just shit out of me. I just hope that they still have an ejection button. Because I wouldn't want to be trapped in the machine where you can't die and you're so sick of fucking existing and just, like, seeing the world play out over and over and over again. I hope that there's a delete key, like, once you're once you're uploaded into the machine that they'll let you die if you want to. Yeah, the only thing that scares me about that is like if somebody hacked the system mm. and like fucks around with they you. Delete, they hacked your account and they made you into a. They turn it into schizophrenic like schizophrenic transvestite. Or turn your life into an eternal nightmare that just never ends. Mm-hmm. Oh shit! Oh, they they show you all the demons. It's fucking freaky, man. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know, but no, I, I, I I'm hoping that everything works out for the best, but. How, I just think it's so scary that people work so hard in life. They they love, they see, they remember. And in most cases, you die and you're forgotten in two generations. Mm-hmm. Like my grandmother, she worked her ass off. She had cool insights. She she brought cool stories to the table. And if I die, my, my daughter won't remember who she is. No she, she's forgotten about. Mm-hmm. That's fucking sad. My granddad, he was awesome. Like, just a fun guy. He worked hard. What's the point? Why Why do you form all these memories just this to is, be gone? This is why um, historians became a job. Is like, for thousands of years, we had an oral culture that forgot a lot of stuff. And eventually, people got wise to the idea that we can make a lot of progress and save a lot of the insights of people that used to exist if we write it all down and keep records. Yeah. And one thing that's a definitely bonus of, of, of living in the digital age is boy, do we have a lot of records. We're producing more data every second than has ever existed. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I was hearing something, some fucking crazy figure. It, it, it might've been that we actually are producing more data in an hour now than we produced in a thousand years before Mm -hmm. this or the entire existence of the world we do more than that in an hour now like that's 
fucking insane. But they're comparing it to, um, you know, people writing down on clay tablets and stuff. Like, there's very little record of the thoughts and feelings of people in the past. And now we're getting very good at collecting shadows of those those thoughts. And stuff like podcasts and stuff like YouTube, um, you're right in thinking that that's going to be a much deeper digital footprint or fingerprint that people can harvest for important parts. I'm looking forward to, I'm finding it very surreal, the idea that like we are probably the last generation of human beings that are going to have an idea about um, an association with like archives being degraded. You know what I mean? Like where you open up an old baby book and you see a picture and it's like faded and yellow and you know it's from like 25 years ago and you see it as like it's a portrait of you when you were six and you tell yourself a story about how that was 30 years ago and that's why the photo looks the way it does. The generation that's coming up now is going to be able to see HD photos of themselves as like a kid all the way through their life, right? It'll be as if like you're seeing a photo that was taken yesterday, but you've aged and you can see that happening like a flip book, almost like Benjamin Button or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's a very surreal aspect of like being a modern person have you seen those those youtube clips where somebody takes a picture of themselves every day for like five years and then it flashes forward in a montage and you see the, just the person's beard coming out and like the crow's feet growing in their face and it's no. very very surreal holy fuck yeah it's kind of scary yeah, we should watch that <laughs> scaring me with the whole fucking aging I'll thing creep you out yeah don't be afraid man just watch the fountain that's that's the that's the uh the trip that you need yeah you remember the fountain did you see that Hugh Jackman movie no oh well Darren Aronofsky made a movie called the fountain I've heard of it I it's think. about a guy whose wife dies of cancer and then he makes it his life goal to find the cure to aging and in the premise of the movie he ends up being an astronaut basically floating through the cosmos um, undying forever and the he is sitting in his like orb floating through the cosmos reflecting on his life and the things that happened to him and thinking about his wife and how he got where he is and the arc of the movie is that he eventually comes to terms with like his own mortality and decides to join the infinite at the end and through um just uh happenstance through um providence his little orb his little seed of, of life ends up producing a genesis that creates like a whole planet afterwards, you know, when he decides to like finally let go. Ah, there you go. (laughs) The analog passed when you had to like go down and get a tape from your friend and he'd send you home with it and you'd listen to it and you'd laugh. And then if you liked it enough and you wanted to find other people to talk about it, you had to like give them the tape and say, isn't the fucking goat thing funny? He does that funny voice, and he says, Harry Balls. You've never heard anybody say that on a recording before, have you? Remember when it was a big deal to like hear the F word? You're like, oh my god, that's crazy. He said the F word. This 80s movie is so intense. Somebody got shot, and there was a blood packet. I can't even believe it. Now you look at Game of Thrones, and it's like way more intense than any 80s action movie. You see, like, their throats opening up when they get, like, slit, and there's a pregnant lady getting a blade stuck into her uterus. It's crazy. 
Are you still pissing? No, I'm done. Okay. You're shaking it off. So if, the if there was any kind of interruption in the flow there, it's because my card was exhausted because Sean Everingham is such a fountain of interesting ideas and such a good friend of mine over the years that uh, I filled up an entire card. We talked for two hours and 40 minutes or something. Goddamn crazy like that. It goes fast, eh? It does go fast, but it's, it's yeah. Like the Howard Stern show, they get breaks in between and they blow their nose or piss and all that and lazy yeah we went two hours and 40 minutes with no fucking break that's and does joe rogan do that on his web sure does does he it's a three hour three hour podcast and does he doesn't take breaks at all nope it's got an iron bladder as do i i think that if i was ever on the savannah i would be one of the fucking monkey tribe that can like follow that antelope uninterrupted all right holding that bladder well, that, but while I did have to drink like two full glasses of water because the the almond dust, because you know, <laughs> I wasn't going to drink that much. You were sabotaged yeah, by raw almond dust. Almond dust. So I'm going to let you uh, go about your life now. I think that uh, you get a gold star for going the distance. Thanks, man. You're a hell of a talker, and we barely scratched the surface of all of our adventures together. You know, I didn't get into your epic performances with action figures reenacting wwf events the nights that we used to stay up and watch like fucking royal rumble and survival survivor series on the scrambled television like a radio performance yeah so often it would go like in clear in clear but in like psychedelic colors for like one second you go like oh my god giant gonzalez the giant <laughs> gonzalez, he stepped over the ring I, did you see that i can't wait to see it in hd <laughs> yeah no there was a lot there's a lot to go over in the future. So come back whenever uh, whenever you feel like talking for three hours. Yeah, man. And I'll continue to like put my entire social life on the internet. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We can't meet like human beings anymore. We're gonna be uh, our meetings are gonna consist of podcasts now. Exactly. Do you have anything to plug? Do you want anybody to, to follow you on the internet and send you more and more emails? Uh, yeah, with uh, your your huge follower base uh ufe shows.com is my business change your life get fit people so www.ufe shows.com for people that want to check it out on facebook it's uh facebook.com slash ufe shows at ufe shows on instagram like everything to do with social media it's ufe shows rad yeah, man. I've been doing this thing called anti-advertising where I give everybody like kind of a prompt at the end of the day to kind of put them off balance and try something new. Um, if somebody is interested, if they are a complete novice, if they've been eating fucking Doritos and doing computer programming for the last six years, what do you think is the first step that they need to take in order to like move towards getting fit and, and changing stuff if they want it to stick? Uh... I would say meet with a personal trainer that you've vetted very well, like do your research, you know, make sure they're well certified, make sure they've got a lot of experience, uh, make sure it's not your, you know, some kid at your local gym and, uh, you know, who's got their three-day certification. Make sure this is someone with experience who can help guide you. At the end of the day, it all comes down to, to people having their own discipline and their own will but you do want somebody who can guide you in the right direction nice 
to make that connection and hopefully you're not going to end up with like some douche that's don't yeah training is fucking expensive these days like 70 bucks an hour on average so don't waste it on some idiot you know 22 year old punk who took a three day certification make sure it's somebody who's got some experience and has actually changed people's lives does ufe offer any kind of uh assessment like that is there any kind of registry or whatever for trainers any kind of like rating system that's come up like a yelp style deal where you can log on and go like it's guy for real they get results what does ufe think of this trainer yeah we've got kind of a, a network of trainers that train people for the show so you know when people are looking for some sort of like hey do you know a trainer that could help me then we do have a, a network of trainers that that we point people to nice yeah so that's what i would do i would trust the expert the president <laughs> from the mouth of the president yeah get a ufe certified approved trainer and change your life because it'll make you a better programmer don't become like a fucking pod person exactly <laughs> all right man thanks thanks brother very interesting experience i gotta have i'm gonna have to ask you about your theme music too but i can do that afterwards all so right. cool see you later everybody thanks for hanging right. in there all right talk to you soon bye what do you want your theme music to be? My theme music? Yeah. Hit my theme music. Like when I'm first coming on? You're going to say, hey, we've it's got music when you first now. come on. There's music when you leave. So the immediate thing that comes to mind is uh, I associate you with like, uh, you know, Bone Thugs or whatever. That Even be... though you're gone, still got love from Bone Bone. <laughs> with your soul, so, so. I think maybe for the closeout, <laughs> for the intro, more, more like a. Like a <laughs> oh, yeah. What's, what's your uh, favorite song? Despite all my rage, <laughs> I'm still just a rat in a cage. Give it a little plug. See how many people decide to listen to it. Oh, Jesus. That would be the Sean Bump. Yeah, that would be cool to see your statistics and see, like, what could be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. That would be cool. You've uh, yeah. you've motivated me, though. Like, looking at this set, I'm, I'm like, holy fuck, maybe... Because you were telling me I should get something like this going. Yeah. I find it is an amazing kind of tool, even if nobody listens to it. It's an amazing kind of tool for assessing... Meditating on the stuff that you care about and getting good at telling the story and passing on that information to somebody else. Yeah. Because what I was finding is like there was a block that was happening with like my video stuff and with the art projects that I was trying to, to build is that if you aren't good at passing that idea to another person's brain and you're not good at assuring that person that you're the best person to achieve that thing, you can't get anywhere. You know, like somebody might think that you got a good idea, but you're not the person to execute it. Or somebody might think that you're a, a, a good guy, but you don't have any ideas that they're interested in following up on. Like if yeah. I made a movie 
It's like, yeah, I grew up with Jesse's a nice guy. I don't want to watch this fucking movie. I got fucking, I, this is Walking Dead's on, and I got a busy, yada, yada, yada. But there's something powerful about podcasts in that if you get the permission to whisper in somebody's ear every for three hours a week or whatever it is, you can't help but like your 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 rhythm, your your thought processes start to align with that person, and you start to get what they mean when they say like, "Oh, I'm gonna take you a fee in this direction. I'm going to to uh, expand it to to France or whatever." Something those decisions don't aren't coming out of left field, and there doesn't need to be like this huge expensive advertising push to get people on the same page. You've just you've been with them that whole time, and they're aligning with you. And they're willing to get more enthusiastic and come on side when you make a proposition to them, I think. Um, it becomes like family, you know? Jon Stewart is not the most talented broadcaster in the world, but he's shown up in everybody's living room for over 10 years. And he has that kind of like intimacy that you got with a friend of yours that you've known a long time. And so when he says something... He has a more authoritative voice just because you're familiar with him than somebody who's just on CNN or whatever that you don't really care about. So I feel like anybody who's in the business of trying to make change in the world, the podcast medium is, is the best way to do that. I ran into like so many people who were campaigning in the last Toronto election and they were just like these hopeless fringe candidates that were not even going to get 1% of the vote. And they were like just handing out flyers to me on the street. And they said, you should vote for me because like I'm in favor of more bike lanes and I'm a person of color and stuff. So I'm, you should be, ta- I should be deserve more of more support than I have. And I'm like, fuck man, like the, get on the internet, like start a podcast. Like you got to put in those, that 10 years of effort in showing up and, and making like honest proclamations of what you care about before you can expect anybody to give a shit yeah you know what's your podcast called like this is this is interesting i don't understand anything about podcasts so uh go to the app store or um yeah go to the app store i think i've already got something called podcasts let's see podcast I click on podcasts. Right. And there should be a search. Search store. So go to Joe Rogan Experience. Podcast. And then you click on Joe Rogan's icon is the first one there. Touch yeah, it. so I touch this one? Yeah. And then there should be a subscribe. Cool. And you hit the subscribe and it'll automatically download the new episode. And whenever you feel like listening to it, you just open the app and you press play. And then if you want me, like you can do the same thing. Just search for my name. Okay, subscribed. Like what is this? Oh, 1,769 people. Like you you wouldn't be able to... um... you wouldn't be able to see like his data how many people are listening Uh, i don't know i don't know about that like mine is tethered to my soundcloud account so i can see the statistics because itunes draws it from the soundcloud but i think 
it might be warped. Like I think that iTunes might download the one episode and then everybody that's listening through it through iTunes gets a copy of that because there always seems to be one download extra for every episode that happens right away. So it's either Stitcher or iTunes that's downloading that, that thing. And then uh, most other people, the statistics are for when they log on to SoundCloud, I can see everybody on SoundCloud that's listening to it. And I can see um, everybody who visits it through my website. I can see the plays. So search for my name. And it's the, the Y spelling, not the E-W-L-E-S. It's Y U. Your fake -E spelling. The Jesse Ewell's idea. Wow, you've got a lot of episodes now. Yeah, I think I'm up to, I think I have 24 posted and I'm up to 27 that I've recorded, but I haven't edited yet. And um, I've also got an audio screenplay that I put together on there. Like, I wrote a script for a movie that I wanted to make and um, I didn't know what to do with it. And it's basically an indie thing, so the only way it's going to be made is if I just raise the money and shoot it myself. Like, no one's going to be interested in buying it. In what? Sorry, say it again. I made, I wrote a, a script for an indie movie that I wanted to direct, um, but my interests have been shifting, like, lately, so I don't know if I'm going to follow through with it. So rather than just, like, having it as a document that is on a hard drive or that I pass to my friends, I recorded an audio version of it where I acted it out, and I put it on the internet. So now it's at least live, you know, like people who are interested in me can now download it and experience the thing. Uh, and I'm going to kind of make it a long-term kind of commitment to that. So like, I mean, I have my podcasts that I do are just conversations with people I know talking about things I care about. Yeah. And every so often I'll release like an audio book. That's kind of like my ties into my video work. Interesting. Mm -hmm. <gasps> that's really interesting. But yeah, the, the thing that I've, I've been finding too is like, in, even in my own life, um, I've been finding like when I would direct something like a music video, um, the attachment to it is very, the, for me as the artist, like creating it, I don't care much about them. I don't watch other people's music videos. Um, and everything becomes a job when you're, when you become disillusioned with the process, everything just becomes a job. You start to like, think of it in terms of like, well, how do I cut costs and how do I do this in a more efficient way instead of that, that posture that you get when you actually care about the project where you're just like overwhelmingly generous because you want it to be better. You want it to be better. How do I put more into this to, to make it a world-class kind of thing? I was finding that like, I was getting more and more disillusioned with the medium because you know i don't watch the music videos and i don't feel like the people who do watch them have the level of engagement with it that people do with like podcasts or something mm -hmm. i was running into people where um i felt like they liked me but they weren't they didn't have that kind of like intense like um attachment to me that they did with my work yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I was way more interesting than the work that I was making. And one thing that's kind of shifting now is that I've been finding, like, there's a really positive response. Like, whenever I just get up and I, I tell somebody about something fucked up that we did when we were 12 years old. 
there's like a, a kind of like perkiness that happens in the person, a surprise, like they laugh or they cry or they, they're, they say like, that's fucking weird. I, that's unbelievable. That actually happened to you. Nothing like that's ever happened in my life. You go like, what? That's not even half of it. Like this something fucking crazy happens to me every week. You know, uh, the, the kind of response that you get from people is much different than like when you show the uh, cool music video that has like a trick in it or something or magic trick, they kind of go, huh, that looked like it took a long time. That kind of thing, that disposable media thing, that kind of feeling that I get when I watch Ninja Turtles or Transformers or whatever, where it's just like, that sure did look expensive, <laughs> but it didn't make me feel anything, you know? I don't feel like I know the artist more. I don't feel like it's given me any insight on how to like live different. So I've been really interested in like, what can I change about myself that will allow me to make work that actually moves people, you know, because we, the word, the internet's got enough noise. It's got yeah. enough like stuff that you just kind of semi care about. Um, and I think that we need more to add the, the humanity back into it where you feel like after you spent the three hours listening to something, I feel like I know that person more. I feel like I, I, I'm, um, even if you disagree with it, sometimes it reaffirms the stuff that you care about where yeah. you go like, Interesting. I put podcasts here. Um, with your movies, have you ever applied to like the Heritage Canada or whoever you can apply to to get grants and stuff? The uh, Canada Arts Council, I, I applied to twice for short film stuff. I got a grant from Bravo Fact um, for a short animated thing that I did. I got a grant from... I've gotten several grants through like much fact and stuff for music videos, but the upper tier for like independent um, film, I haven't done yet. And uh, I'm in the early stages of figuring out what I'd like to do for something like that. Cause I can apply with the, the Soma thing that I wrote. I can, I can submit that now, but I need to make sure that um, I've got a basis in narrative short film before I can get access to that upper tier money. Like if you want like the 75 or the $150,000 tier or the $250,000 tier, you have to have an established pattern of making narrative things. And they don't consider music videos to be part of that stream. There's two different like kind of paths in, in, in uh, Canadian cinema. It's like you, you can be a commercial director where you do music videos and commercials and things and that's one stream. And then there's the fine arts stream where you're doing short films and narrative features. And like once you make your first like narrative Canadian feature, you get access to like government funding to make more of them. Yeah. Um, so there would need to be there's a there's a uh, an onus on me that I have to like make a feature length thing with people telling stories and dialogue and stuff. And I'm trying to figure out a way that I can use the stuff that I've been doing for podcasts as a way of, of getting into that category because we're telling stories that could be naturally like, you know, if we tell a story about Hamilton East or whatever, and growing up, I can struck, you can imagine a documentary where we take those voice clips and we overlay it on footage of the old neighborhoods and portraits of, of the people from before. And it would so kind of be like a documentary type of thing. Yeah. 
coming down at Hamilton and walking through the hood. Mm -hmm. And I got wireless microphones and stuff, so we can do like little interview segments where you go like, here's the fucking like ash pile that used to be my house. <laughs> Seeing how people do some of these. I was on a, a show called Real Talk, and I got the link for it. I forget how, like, how they broadcast that. I think, isn't the real talk this, the CNN show? Yeah, but it wasn't a CNN show. Real talk. Uh, fuck. And what are you gonna, what are you gonna do with that? Are you thinking of perhaps, like, a, a YouTube channel as well, or? The video feed. That's, yeah, I'm still kind of experimenting. Like, I'm, a, I'm the type of person that just starts, right? And I'll just try it out and see if it affects the workflow. I'm, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm, I get married to something that I have no idea is going to work, and then it ends up derailing your progress on the other thing that you should be focusing on. Mm -hmm. So right now, the, the, the recording the interviews with people is, is producing stuff. People are telling me, like, really good stories that are honest and moving and stuff. And it might be that, like, it's just a matter of, of taking that feed and putting the exact same thing on YouTube, and it'll kind of work. Yeah. But the downside of YouTube, I find, is that, um, like, I don't watch Joe Rogan's show, even though he has it on YouTube. It's, it's very exhaustive of your bandwidth, like, to watch a three-hour show. And there's not really a lot of visuals going on. It's two people sitting at a table. And so you put a face with the voice which is fine, but you're also encouraging people to, it's the most limited way to experience that podcast. You've got to be sitting in your chair at your desk. Whereas like most of the time I've got my podcast in my ear, I'm headed to the design office on the bus. I listen to it in the morning. If I'm walking around the office, you just clip on your, your iPod shuffle or whatever, or um, you've got your iPhone in your pocket with your earbud in and you can do stuff around the office while you listen to it. Right. Any kind of manual task, like if it's working out, you're using a different part of your brain. You could be learning while you're while you're doing that, you know. And yeah. there's also a, there's it's incredibly varied. There's thousands of podcasts now. I think you can learn about ancient history. You could learn um, another language. There's all sorts of stuff that you could be doing while you're driving. Yeah. Um, and I find it like just way more interesting than stuff like Top Forty Radio or or any of that stuff that I had been listening to before. It's such a, they came up with such a fucking common name, Real Talk, I can't find it. Hmm. Real Talk with something, Real Talk with Kai. Real Talk. Because I'd like to do something like this. I think, I think I need to get the message out by talking. I think putting out YouTube. You're gifted. You're, you're... You uh, you're absolutely the best person to be advocating the stuff that you that your brand does. Like you're an extension of that thing. Yeah. You're a good speaker. You're a handsome guy. You're in the perfect position. You're funny, and that doesn't always translate into the work. And and I was finding that with my own stuff is that like my talents weren't completely coming through in in the media, and yeah. I've been finding that like by having the the ritual of getting together and putting a microphone in front of me it encourages you to be a little bit more 
mindful of like everything you talk about, right? Like you run into somebody on the street and they say like, Hey Sean, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, we can, we can go into this autopilot where we're just kind of floating around. We're just like, Oh, Hey buddy, uh, who the fuck are you? I'm still, I'm still thinking about the traffic or, or whatever. I'm not engaged in the thing. Yeah. But if you get so good at talking about like the stuff that you care about, you can just fly right into that, that topic and you go like, yeah, just, oh, you should come out to the thing. I'm doing this show and oh, you get better at that, at that connection that allows you to like take the different things you care about and spit it out at people. Yeah. So you, 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 you've recorded this and then you upload it just by what going on the computer. Yeah. So what I do is I've got premiere, which is a audio video editing program. And, um, I like to do a little bit of production on my thing. So I'll, I'll, um, sync the, the audio up. I'll boost our levels, put a little bit of bass on our voices. So it sounds a bit sexier. Um, I dub in music for things where it's appropriate where, you know, if we mention a band or whatever, it's always funny to, like, have that band kind of, like, as a musical cue, or, like, those Howard Stern moments where there's sound little sound effects and stuff that complement the the, uh, the story. So I like to add a little bit of that, too, to the thing. And sometimes I'll also, as a, as a final, like, thing, is I find that when podcasts have a good hook at the very beginning, where, like, the flow is, is going right off the bat people are more likely to listen to it all the way to the end. So I, I usually take like the first like 20 minutes in and I'll swap it with the actual beginning of the show so that like the flow is, is right off the bat. People are, are into it. You know, it's got that momentum. Like by the, the end of it, like we could have gone another hour, right? Like the, yeah. by the end of it, you're just rhyming off the thing. The beginning of the show is always kind of like, uh, 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 this is, is this on? Are we doing this? Are we really going to record something? Yeah. Interesting, man. Would you help me set up a little mini studio? Mm-hmm. You just need one of these H6s. You need uh, an audio card. And then these cables and microphones and stuff you can get from if there's a Longham McQuaid in Hamilton or if there's like a music store. Well, I would come here. Oh, okay. So you just buy we'll it all. We'll do a shopping, shopping day trip. in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I might want to get a camera too. Oh, cool! And do a YouTube version. Yeah, totally. And then you could. What's What's cool about you is that you've got the shows going on, right? So you could do, uh, you know, uh, a celebratory thing after the show's over. Everybody's packing up. You've got like kind of a a party that you're putting on, and you've got a little podcast thing with guests and like the winner, and you do a little interview. Yeah. Have people in the background and stuff. UFE shows competitors. Yay! We're all drunk. We got our tits out. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, because I gotta. I want to do like real marketing. Like push advertising just doesn't do it. Real marketing. I'll probably come uh, maybe sometime in May. Nice. For a shopping trip. If you're interested in like a, a, a weekend, like we just go 
on a Saturday or yeah. something. And then... Yeah, definitely. Let's put it on the calendar, though, and, like, stick to it. Because I think that um, if I have any kind of insights into to how you can get to where you want to go, this is definitely one of them. So I would I would start, like, right away. And there's definitely going to be growing pains, too. Like, I think that you've got you've got a laptop, right? Like, you've got, like, a MacBook or something. Um, laptop. You can... Uh, if you if you find that you want to do a little bit of editing on the thing, um, there's you can do it in iMovie and stuff like that. It's not a hard thing to stitch together. And there's also there's also got to be a uh, online version of it now. I know on YouTube you can like edit videos and sync up audio and stuff on them now. So yeah, we'll see. Baby steps. Yeah, YouTube gives you a lot of production possibilities now. You can pirate the actual software that the pro software and uh and learn how to use it in a week it's very simple audio editing is very simple you just pull it onto the the layers and you you cut it up with a, the razor tool and you output it no problem yeah i want something though like for the the youtube too where i can like switch to showing people something on my computer screen or some footage of something or yeah well, one thing you can do too is that this can connect to your computer. So what you can do is um, you can boost the production value of even just like a YouTube channel where like you're being recorded with a, a video mic and, and putting it to YouTube, but it does it with a better sound quality and all of that kind of stuff. So that might be an easy way to fix too. Yeah. I'm thinking uh, May 9th or May 30th. emailed me yeah let me know which is better yeah because the yeah next week in montreal then i'm in saskatoon then it's Coburg. i can there's certain things that you can just order on the internet so i can send you the uh the bnh like links for the the recorder and, and stuff that you need and they'll just send it to your house and then the microphones and things you can get secondhand at the the audio store, or you can also order that online. Like I don't mind putting together just the the the, the buy list, and they'll just send it to your place. That would be easy too. Because okay. sometimes going like shopping for secondhand gear, you might get there and they don't have the thing that you need, and you're just like, well, that was a waste of a car trip. Yeah, but we could do like a lunch or something. Mm -hmm. What are you saying? You don't want to fucking see me? Yeah, I'm trying to say I, I don't want to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I want to get a cool little setup going. But yeah, when this one appears, let me let me know and I'll. Uh, I don't know how I properly promote it. If there's a proper link or mm -hmm. like a link. Yeah. And oh, I've been having a hard time too. like getting uh, my friends to, to rate it on iTunes, so that would also be helpful if if you want to rate the show. Even though you don't listen to it. <laughs> so I'll try and listen. This music used to scare the fuck out of me when I was a kid. It actually is still a little bit scary. Like, this is one of the scariest music pieces I've ever heard. It's a trippy show. Doctor Immortal Doctor Time Lord shifts bodies every ten years. I just didn't watch Doctor Who because it scared me. It's a pretty nerdy show. 
What's your uh, site called? My website? Yeah. It's my name. With the Y? Mm-hmm. Would you play this if you were in here by yourself at this time? I wouldn't. I'd turn it right the fuck off. Did, do you purposely optimize your site for web? Or for mobile? Uh, I use Squarespace, so they do all that backend. Because my website isn't really mobile friendly. Mm. And I know on April 21st, they fuck you over if it's not mobile friendly. Google does. Search rankings. The twenty first. There's like a changeover that's gonna happen. Yeah, Google changes the way it ranks websites. Oh no. Well, I'm glad that you said that. I'll have to look into uh, the way that works. So like, they search for Jesse Yules, and they don't like your website, so they say, "You're out." We're gonna find some other thing that's kind of related to you, and we're gonna put that at the top They'll of rank Google. a mobile site way higher. Funny. Yeah. I guess it only makes sense. Like everything is shifting to to fucking. Fifty-two percent of traffic is on mobile now. I like I like my iPad. That's a good size for searching the internet. I don't yeah. like searching for the internet on my phone. Did you do this shit where you're pouring honey on someone? Yeah. This is fucking crazy. Do you have, uh, remember that thing you did for the ultimate performer for me? Yeah. Do you have that on, on a hard drive somewhere? At yes. this point? I think. Yes. Can you see if you can find it? I might decide to actually go through with it now. There has been lip sync contests that have started out, like celebrity versions of things. Well, I, I just saw, saw the show now on Spike TV. It's getting really big, lip sync battle. But this would be less of a battle and more like it would be a competition with like 30 groups going. The one I saw was uh, with What's her face? Catwoman. Michelle Pfeiffer? No, the other one. The new one. Holly uh, Berry? Anne Hathaway was Anne doing Hathaway. like a. Anne Hathaway was doing Wrecking Ball or something, and I was like, this is bizarre. This is like a current celebrity doing another current celebrity's lip sync? It's stupid. Because what was fun about the high school thing that we used to watch is that it's amateurs that look ridiculous doing the thing and it's it's fun to see the contrast it's like oh that guy's that white that fat white dude's trying to be biggie smalls that's fucking ridiculous that kind of vibe that you get from like air, the air guitar finals well i don't know if you remember when rick urquhart that gay guy did madonna <laughs> that Erotic. was fucking crazy and they stopped his music at some point what yeah. how rude because he was like pulling thongs out of his pants and throwing them What's going on here? I clicked on idea grave. Oh, there it is. CV contact search. What is search all about? Uh, it's for like when you're on the website. I've got so many goddamn projects that you can't just scroll and find them all. Mm -hmm. So 
if you're if you want to search for like the Diana video or whatever, you can find it that way. Yeah, so I know your your website will get hit hit for text that's too small, for example. Well, I since you mentioned that, I can turn on the mobile thing that scales all the buttons up to ridiculous. I just hate that so many people are gonna. I very carefully laid out a website that looks good when you see it on a computer, and now they're gonna turn it into this ugly thing with like giant buttons and stuff. Uh, yeah, it bugs sucks. me, but whatever. I will play ball. Google. Russell Harder, podcast game show host. Cool. Yeah, SoundCloud. Cool. Is this an app I should get for for my phone, or is that not an app? SoundCloud is an app, but I I visit it through the website, and then like the the other you side of it. You upload to SoundCloud. Is that you what you upload do? to SoundCloud? They handle your hosting. So there's different companies all that do handle the hosting now. You can do it through Squarespace. You can do it through SoundCloud, and there's a there's different fee tiers. Like if I have the unlimited one because my show is ridiculously long, so it costs like I think 120 dollars a year to, for the hosting of it, and uh, that'll keep coming down. There'll be other like services and stuff. That... What does Joe Rogan do it on? He has the, the the one that's higher than me. There's like a, a service called like uh, Listen Tech or Lip, Lick, Lickson or it starts with an L, and it's like the three hundred dollar tier, and you basically have more analytics, um, and the same kind of like bandwidth. But is he on SoundCloud? No, he doesn't put it through SoundCloud. He has uh, a, he has the file hosting is is done through this that lit L company and uh, it's connected to iTunes. So most people get the show through iTunes. That's what it's all about. And that's the the other thing that uh, that may be interested in doing like a podcast thing is like the people who are working in mediums where you can build up a subscription base you end up with all sorts of benefits from that. Like having, if you have 3 million people that listen to your thing, then if you launch an idea, you're sending it out to 3 million people that are all going to hear it at once versus like traditional advertising, which is all spam, you know, like um, just because somebody's going on Facebook, they don't necessarily want to hear from Sean Everingham. They might be going to see baby pictures from their friend or connecting mm -hmm. with whatever, just because somebody goes on YouTube, like, I have Adblock Plus has stripped the internet of all ads. So when I go on YouTube, I don't see any bumper ads and stuff in front of the, the clips. Like you should definitely get that if you have it. It'll change your life. Okay. Adblock Plus. You just add it to Chrome. It's like one button that you click. It adds it to your browser, and you don't have any more advertising on the internet. And you just go like, ah, oh, I can log on to CNN.com, and there's not a fucking car ad every five seconds, and there's not like completely inappropriate things like trying to sell you tampons like yeah. what the hell is this i just wanted a clip of the the guy getting in a motorcycle accident and i gotta sit and watch a tampon ad yeah that actually pissed me off today i was i was wanting to click on something because they're they're having a bruce jenner interview so it's like a clip to promote the bruce jenner interview which is essentially an advertisement already but then they yeah. fucking pump it up with an advertisement before that and i'm like what the hell man 
I don't want to see this. Like, I, I can't even get away from this shit now. I wanted to send somebody a very uh, intimate kind of, like, motivational thing because they were feeling down or whatever. And when I clicked on the link, uh, I was doing it at work, so it had the ads still, like, interlaced into the thing. It was a fucking advertisement for trying to avoid date rape or date rape awareness, like, from the government of Canada. And it had, like, creepy ambient footage, of, like, shot on somebody's phone of a guy, like, creeping up on a girl and trying to take her pants off and stuff. I was like, this is fucking inappropriate. You shouldn't just be interlacing this into people's feeds. Yeah. Like, somebody who's had a background in that where, like, your girlfriend was raped at a party or whatever and you're getting this, like, served to you when you wanted your, your kitten photo or whatever that you asked for. Yeah. So rude. So ad and is this free? Ad block plus. Yeah. Cool. So I search for it and I guess it tells you how to install it. Yeah. It's it's like all the Chrome plugins are just it brings up a, th a prompt and it says like do you want to add this to your browser? You click yes and then it's done. All the advertising is gone. Wow. <sighs> Breath of fresh air. <laughs> cool, man. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Gas, gas, gas! You're all dead. See, another 42 minutes you did. Since I changed that card. Very cool. And then there's little, little tricks that you can pick up just by watching YouTube tutorials. Like you gotta have your levels right so that you're not peeking. See how it goes red? Loud like that? Yeah. You want it to be. And the neat thing about like this H6 thing is you got a feed here, like it comes with microphones that you can plug in. And then I could technically have another one, two, three people talking. Like we could do a round table thing where you just plug in all the microphones and it automatically like saves it all to the one card. So it's very convenient. Wow. Incredible. And you can set all of the audio levels with these wheels here. So like if your microphone's coming in too hot, I can turn you down, and I can take a look at like the um, the recording time and stuff as the show's going on to make sure that everything is recording to the card. Check, 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 check. And that's because you've optimized my level that it doesn't go into the red. Hello, 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 hello. Ah! Like, if you turn my level way up, then even this could make it go red? Well, it's not that sensitive of a microphone. Hello? Oh, but it does go red much like If I have it on 10, that's the highest. But you usually keep it down like 8 or something. Hello? Cool. Mm -hmm. So would you, uh, would you be up for a day of teaching me how to do something like this? Sure. Get the whole fucking setup going and teach me how to do it. Sean on the mic, Sean on the mic, Sean live to air. You can have your fucking racist tirades. And your, uh... <laughs> you know, I fucking make sure I get proper grades in class because I want to show these fucking brown and black and yellow people that the white man still rules the world. <laughs>
somebody was 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 uh, they were saying to me they didn't understand like the roots of the power that like racial organizations could have. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's, they're like, well, how can anybody buy the story that like a white supremacy or whatever when it's clearly not true? And I was like, oh yeah. I'm like, but think of every modern invention that's ever been created on the planet Earth of any value. Who invented it? All white people. So just from the fact that like Europe started off as a head start versus everybody else technologically, there's been a, a legacy of that like that's left to the present. So who said the person said white supremacy is not a fact? Well, it's that not white, a fact. That like, white people everybody has the, the potential to be like a very effective, successful person. Do you think so? But because civilization had its uh, crucible in Europe, didn't. And because the oh, European yeah. Christians murdered everybody in the Middle East, like for the, a while, the Muslims for a while the everyone. Saudi Arabia Muslim Empire was very far ahead of medieval Europe in terms of the technology and philosophy and stuff, but the Crusades, they murdered everybody. And the Mongols killed everybody, too. Killed everybody. So, well, people spread the word of, of Allah through murdering people through all the Middle East. Everybody's had their crusades. It's a screwed up region. But so I want to, I want to, I want to put something, I want to put something by you that I want you to think about, and I want you to try.